Now is the time and wherever you are is the place. The Citadel makes it easier to earn your degree by offering master's degrees, graduate certificates, and undergraduate degree completion programs that are entirely online. Flexible scheduling makes these programs convenient for working professionals. Online classes are held to the same high standards that consistently name the Citadel the number one master's granting public college in the South. The Citadel. Online. On your time. Visit citadel.edu slash online. Gary Hoffman. Yeah. Shannon Farron. And I'm not going to brag about how much ass I kicked, but let's just say I kicked every single ass. Gary and Shannon. Can you imagine if Justin Timberlake tries to do a Prince song at halftime? <gasps> Not in Minnesota. Uh, well, he spent he spent all day yesterday at the uh, at Prince's. Oh my estate. gosh! What you know? What you're absolutely right. That's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Which is fine. I mean, if as long as he does a does uh, a great job, he's Justin Timberlake. I know. I'm just saying. He's one of the two people I want to be when I grow up. Didn't Bruno Mars sing Prince last year? I don't know. I have a vague memory of of maybe that. I thought it was Lady Gaga that did last year. Wasn't Bruno Mars involved? He was there the year before. Oh. If I'm not mistaken. Well, and, and who could forget Carol Channing and Up With People way back in uh, <laughs> was 1977 or whatever it was. Oh, um, boy. It is Friday. Real quick. Yeah. A little housekeeping here. Let's get it in. A couple things. Social media. Okay. Um, something happened in the bathroom here. I don't know what that is and why. And I'm starting to feel bad about it. Like somebody had a bad day. I was that like, that's is a not ba- a bad that's day. That's a bad day. That's a, hey, guys, I'm going to go to the doctor real quick. That's a bad day. Like if you're pooping on the floor, that is a not a good day in your life. Um, so at Gary and Shannon is the picture uh, on Instagram. On Twitter, Lauren wrote to us. My birthday is in two weeks. It's on the 16th. She says, last year, Gary sang Gaston for my birthday. Can I request be our guest for this year? He hasn't sang anything besides let it go in months. A girl only turns 29 once. Hashtag love you guys. So can we make that happen? In two weeks? Write a little note on your post-it. The 16th, be our guest. 16th. Lauren, B-Day. Plenty of time to rehearse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to be stellar. Like I need to rehearse. <laughs> Tie your napkin round your neck, Sherry, and we provide the rest. Soup du jour. I really don't do French accents, though. Yes, you do. To serve, try the gray stuff. We it's have not a good f- as a candelabra. It's yes, not you a- are. All right. Well, we'll see. We have a I huge a day coming up. Hot in our hands right here. Whew. Is this memo? This is the memo that everyone has lost their flipping minds about over the last uh, several weeks. The president today decided that it was okay to declassify it since it's the executive branch that gets to declassify this. The legislative branch goes back to Congress and then the House Intelligence Committee 
decided that they would release this memo that they have just been bleeding at the gums to get out there for some time now. Let's back, back, back it up and talk about what this memo is. Got it. The FBI and the Justice Department wanted to look into the Trump campaign and whether or not it was involved with Russia to alter the course of the election. In order for the FBI and the Justice Department to do that, to look into Carter Page, one of the uh, volunteers for the Trump campaign, who may or may not have had ties to Russia, they had to come up with a warrant, the FISA warrant. And to get a warrant, they had to have some sort of evidence, some sort of probable cause. And this memo is all about at least one of the factors in their argument for probable cause. And one of the factors in their argument for probable cause was the Christopher Steele dossier. The dossier that was made famous by, I believe, Vanity Fair? Buzz, BuzzFeed? BuzzFeed came out with it. Wow. Good for they were the BuzzFeed was the only, finger quotes, news organization that decided to publish it because so much of it was... Shady uncorroborated, totally shady McShaderson. Very salacious. Remember, there was a tale of, of Russian prostitutes urinating on the president and all this dirt that Russia allegedly had on Trump. But no one wanted to run with it, except for, as you mentioned, BuzzFeed. And this memo is all about Christopher Steele and all about his shady reporting and all about how he was shopping around his dossier and no one no one wanted to pick it up. While at the same time, the FBI was using Christopher Steele as their informant to get this FISA warrant to investigate the Trump campaign. Right. So the FBI and the Department of Justice get get one of these initial FISA warrants that targets Carter Page. They also get three renewals from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. And one of the safety nets that's set up in this Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court is that if you are surveilling an American citizen, if you are watching someone who is in the United States of America, that order has to be renewed every 90 days. And each renewal requires a whole new beginning, a whole new separate finding of probable cause. So James Comey, when he was director of FBI, signed off on the original one. And then Andrew McCabe signed on one. Sally Yates had one. Dana Bonte had one. uh, Rod Rosenstein. Each signed one or more of the FISA applications on behalf of the Department of Justice. So... We know that they, whatever evidence they had, they used, they got these different warrants. This is what's interesting. The argument from Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee is that this dossier was used as the basis for all of this. In fact, one of the lines, the Deputy Director Andrew McCabe testified before the House Intelligence Committee two months ago that... No surveillance warrant would have been sought from the uh, intelligence court without the Steele dossier information. Now, that doesn't mean that this was the only document that was used, but his own words, it's the the most important. Right. Without the dossier, they would not have gone forward with the warrant or been able to obtain one. So here's what makes it uh, stinky, perhaps, the FBI using this document as the main or most important reason for getting these FISA warrants. The document was 
um, excuse me, the dossier was compiled because of the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign. They paid for this to be done. And so for this to be used by the FBI as their big source of information to get the warrant. Without an acknowledgement in court that that was where it came from. Yes, it was started by Republican opposition research, but it was the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign that picked it up from them and and turned this over. The other thing is they would hold these uh, news reports up as proof uh, or corroborating evidence to the dossier, to the information in the dossier. For example, Michael Isikoff wrote something for Yahoo News in September. But the only source was Christopher Steele. And he is the guy who wrote the original dossier in the first it place. It wasn't corroborated by anyone else. And Christopher Steele wasn't an unbiased journalist who uncovered all of these nuggets. He actually was on the record several times saying, and I quote, I'm desperate that Donald Trump not get elected." Passionate about him not being president. And so for the FBI to use this guy as their informant and his information as as grounds to get that warrant to look into the campaign, that should make everyone a little bit uneasy about the FBI. Yeah, because the FBI, the counterintelligence division, Assistant Director Bill Priestap, said that the dossier was in its – the corroboration of the dossier was in its infancy at the time of the original Carter Page FISA application, which means this it just it wasn't fully vetted even at that. point. Why didn't the FBI do the legwork? And maybe listen, maybe they did. This memo is only part of the story. We don't know the totality of the warrant. We just know that the dossier was a big part of it. But why didn't they do the legwork if if they if they didn't need to rely on the dossier? Why did they? Why not do the legwork? Why not corroborate some of it and then put the proof in in the in the paperwork? Because. uh, I should say, and the follow-up to that statement is the question, is the president right? Was the Department of Justice and specifically the FBI politically motivated to sort of uh, stretch the truth, perhaps hide some of the things so that they knew they could get a FISA warrant? And part of the memo answers that. Um, Steele maintained contact, it says, with Associate Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr. He was a senior Department of Justice official who worked closely with the Deputy Attorney General Yates and later Rosenstein. During the same time, Orr's wife was employed by the company that paid for this dossier to be done to assist in the cultivation of opposition research on Trump. So he was literally in bed with one of the people compiling all this opposition research, and and he was running the FBI's investigation into this and they never what? disclosed that to the court they that they never were using put that in the, the warrant it's just a conflict of interest on its face now this steel was eventually suspended and then terminated the, the fbi fired this guy they said that uh they say it was the most serious of violations i mentioned that he was the one providing all the information to yahoo news and these other media outlets that unauthorized disclosure to the media of his relationship with the fbi specifically in a mother jones article was the reason the FBI got rid of this guy. Okay, so that's where we stand. There's a couple of things that come to mind in in our first sort of digestion of this memo. Number one is, is this going to impact the wide-ranging investigation by Robert Mueller and the rest of the special counsel? I, I don't know the official answer to that. In my mind, it doesn't, because this memo... As, as crazy as people have been, as, as 
uh, engulfed in flame as their hair has become. This is one argument against one player specifically in the investigation. It's that the FBI used this Steele dossier incorrectly in going after warrants against Carter Page. That's all it's that's all that this points to. Yes, there's an uh, there's a, a suggestion that perhaps uh, George Papadopoulos may have been caught up in all of this as well because of the information that came from the Carter surveillance pointed to Papadopoulos, etc. But in terms of what this is pointing to, it's one issue against one guy. It does not necessarily even let Carter Page off the hook. It doesn't mean that this stuff isn't true. It just shows that there was a direct bias and they, uh, by the guy who compiled this dossier that the FBI then used for a warrant to investigate the campaign. And and he was he was essentially, I, I believe, Lindsay, was it Lindsey Graham who said this? Christopher Steele was on the payroll of a company that was being paid by the DNC to do opposition research on Donald Trump while he was working with the FBI. And at the same time, he's shopping that to all the news sources. Right. The, the FBI shouldn't be using someone as an informant who's trying to shop his story or sell his story to BuzzFeed and Yahoo News and the like. The, what? One of the questions I have, you remember I said that one of the safeguards that's built into this is a FISA court order on an American citizen has to be renewed every 90 days. And each of those renewals requires a separate finding of probable cause. I'm curious if the evidence, if there is any that they got in the original 90 days, if that can be included as probable cause to continue the warrant or to renew the warrant. Because if that's the case, first of all, they used the fake documents, the the unverified, uncorroborated Steele dossier to get the original warrant, but maybe they stumbled onto other stuff. That is going to be not admissible in a court if you used bad evidence in the beginning and then picked up more evidence along the way. All of that evidence you pick up along the way is not admissible in court. Unless you corroborate the stuff that you initially used. Right. Unless you can build up the base of the original evidence. Yeah, you're you're screwed at that point. It's just it's uh, this is uh, this is this is bad for the FBI. Here's a good this looks bad. It looks shady. It looks dirty. Well, we were talking about this just before the show, the two options that the FBI has right now in terms of what this points to. And and again, this is just the Republican version of it. It's important that we find out what Democrats believe has been left out of this. Yes. What the FBI's statement will be. So we'll talk about that. But specifically what it is this could mean about the FBI when we come back. First, we have a thousand dollars we're going to give away. Here's how you're going to do it. Your shot at one thousand dollars now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. And you got to answer the phone. If you win, they will call you, but it's probably from a number you don't recognize. If you don't answer, 
they'll move on and give that $1,000 to somebody else. But we'll play again one uh, one hour from now. We'll tell you how you can win $1,000 then and all the way through the John and Ken show and all the way up into the Conway show at 620 tonight. Now, the FBI has said it has grave concerns uh, that the contents of the memo leave out important details and create an inaccurate portrait of their work because they can't tell us everything that they found or that they used in this warrant. Like I said, we don't know the totality of what was in that warrant. This is just a snapshot of part of it. But unfortunately, like you mentioned earlier, there was that testimony. Deputy Director McCabe testifying before the committee in December that no warrant would have been sought without the dossier information. You can't get away from that. Yeah, and again, it's not it's not an it's not saying that this was the only thing that they used, but even Andrew McCabe said this was the most important thing that they used, and it was an unverified, uncorroborated piece of opposition research. The guy was still on, like you said, Fusion GPS's payroll while he was working for the FBI. There's ridiculous, obvious conflicts of interest there. I'm now. curious as to what they are going to say. I mean, obviously, the FBI knows what the memo is, but right. they haven't commented since the release. But hey, and here's the thing. Uh, but the I'm, FBI and the Justice Department rarely would comment. Right? I'm not jumping to conclusions here. I'm just a, I just think that this is a, a good first step into finding out exactly what went on. Yes, it's the Republican version of things. And Democrats do have their own version of things that they could probably release if they want to. Uh, and eventually, I think we will see it. But it raises the question, who at the Department of Justice knew that Steele was talking to the media? Or did they? Did this guy play the FBI? Well, this is a problem. If the FBI knew that Christopher Steele was shopping around this dossier to Yahoo News and BuzzFeed and everybody else while working with the FBI... Then that is just uh, improper, at least. At least improper. At least. and uh, Highly criminal, unethical. Unethical. Yeah. Um, But if they didn't know, then they're dumb. Then it's incompetent. If they didn't know that this guy was shopping the dossier while working with the FBI, then it's incompetence, and that makes me... A little bit more worried. I'd rather them be conniving and cheaters and shady than a dumbass dumb organization. <laughs> because you can you can cut out the cancer. You can cut out the part where uh, where there are bad agents doing bad things, bad actors in some way doing bad things. But if it's a systemic problem where. It's going to take a you know top to bottom reorganization in terms of how they handle informants like Christopher Steele. Uh, this is the that's sa- a much more dangerous uh, scenario. This is the same thing with Hillary Clinton and the classified information. Either she knew what she was doing, passing it along or disseminating whatever, or she was too dumb to know it was classified. Both are bad options, right? And that's where we find ourselves with the FBI right now. Furthermore, how many other times are they cutting corners and using baloney for for warrants? Did they just and, and every time that it's renewed every ninety days, is it just like, you know, uh, 
hey, a rubber what we stamp. Said, remember what we said three months ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ditto. Right, right, right. Like, is that, is that how it works? I don't think so. I mean, just in terms of what the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court is built to do, I would imagine that the the, especially when it comes to spying on an American citizen, I mean, that's why the safeguard of having it renewed every 90 days is in there. I would imagine that the level, the the bar in terms of how high you have to reach to convince the court to allow that sort of uh, surveillance, I would imagine that it's much higher. So uh, that's why it bothers me that this is only the Republican version of what happened, because without knowing the uh, description, perhaps, from the Democrats about what they considered this to be cherry-picked. You know, I want to know the rest of the tree. I want to know what else is going I, on here I with do, it. too, but you can't get away from that testimony. From Andrew McCabe? Yeah. No surveillance warrant would have been sought from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court without the Steele dossier information. That's huge. No matter what else is in that warrant for grounds to, to look into the campaign— it doesn't overcome that. So do you think this is a win for Devin Nunez? I mean, the fact that he was the one who was behind this. He was the one pushing to have it, this thing released. Uh, I think it... Uh... Because it does point... I mean, listen, no matter how you read this, you have to admit that this points to shoddy it's a win investigative the, I mean, work on the FBI, Devin at Nunez, least the way it stands there. Devin Nunez's name may get lost in this. It's a win for the president. It's a win for him trying to, in his argument, uh, that... Everyone's against him, that it's fixed, that it's a dirty swamp, yeah. that it's a Hillary Clinton machine, the whole bit. It's proof of that. That's for damn sure. Um, I expect people to quit over this. I think yeah. someone either is going to quit or get fired over this, and I wouldn't be surprised if it happens in the next few hours. So uh, we're going to read through this. We're watching uh, a bunch of the talking heads, of course, as they go through and digest all of this and try to make sense of what has become the hottest three and a half pages to come out of Washington since uh it's pretty it's pretty know. clear too it's not like it's reading it's not like reading through a legal brief no, it's and, a pretty clear memo short concise and to the point but that was also to my point that this is the one th- you know they're talking about one thing they're talking about the Carter Page warrants and how the Steele dossier played into that they're not talk- talking about the much wider Mueller investigation. This is or true. All of that, you know, all of the other connections to Michael Flynn, to um, to Paul Manafort, to George Papadopoulos, although he is mentioned in there. It's it's specifically about Carter Page. So this is the beginning of what is going to be an interesting weekend for all of this information firing back and forth. But check it out. We have it up on our website and uh, come to your own conclusion there. Yeah, hey, did you, you hear about uh, did you hear about the, the dad at that Larry Nasser sentencing? I want to buy him. A, I want to buy him like a twelve pack of beer. Agree. This is. I feel bad. You know who I feel bad for in that situation? The bailiffs in the court. Yeah, because they want to kick this guy's ass too. Said ass a lot today already. Well, it is a Friday. Okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Eagle Friday or something. Coming up next, we've got an update on the shooting that dominated the day yesterday. It turns out it was accidental, which is. Great, and how did that happen? We'll get into it. Gary Channon will continue. Gary Channon on this uh, Friday, it's February 2nd, uh, Memo Day. 
as uh, it's going to be referred to for some time. We do have the Nunez memo online. You should go read it, uh, make up your own decisions about it. The, ho- the whole thing is, is only three pages long. Uh, like Shannon said, it's not written like a legal document. It's pretty easy to get through. So uh, you should definitely check it out before you start having conversations about it uh, and get caught saying something stupid. So we're at least giving you the information so that you can be ahead of your friends. Castro Middle School was the scene of yesterday's school shooting. And where we left you, we knew that a 12-year-old girl was being held as a person of interest, they called her, which was a little odd yesterday, but now it kind of makes sense, right? She was a person of interest in this shooting. A 15-year-old boy was shot in the head. A 15-year-old girl shot in the wrist. But luckily, uh, they are all expected to make a full recovery. There was a couple other people hit by uh, shrapnel or some, some glass, some abrasion issues. But... Everyone is expected to be okay. Happened they, just before 9 a.m. They said something like uh, the girl may have dropped her backpack and the gun went off. That's really hard to do. I mean, that's a that's a movie thing. That's not a that's a, a very difficult thing to actually do. The girl was crying and told at least a fellow classmate, I didn't mean to. I had the gun in my backpack. I didn't know it was loaded and my backpack fell and the gun went off. If that's the case, I'm um, again Something in the backpack. You can't just drop a gun and it go off. Well, police interviewed her and agreed it was an accident. She was booked into juvenile hall on suspicion of negligently discharging a firearm on school grounds. It's a semi-automatic handgun. They haven't said where she got it or why she brought it to school. Well, remember, uh, Mike Feuer took the stand, took the stand, took the podium yesterday at one of these news conferences, the city attorney for L.A., and was like, listen, parents— even uh, Chief Zipperman said the same thing. How does a 12-year-old girl get a gun? It's because someone in the house, someone in the family has the weapon and is so irresponsible that they can't hide it or put it in a locked place where the kids wouldn't get it. I mean, that whether or not they have a weapon for self-protection, uh, for self-defense, that sort of a thing, you've got to be able to find a, a, a sliver of intelligence And put it in a place where a 12-year-old is not going to have access to it. Jordan Valenzuela was in class when he heard the bang and then he heard screaming. She or uh, she or he, I'm not, uh, he, excuse me, he, uh, the girl told Jordan that it was an accident. He says that after he heard the gunshot and the screaming, children in the other classroom started banging on the door connecting the two rooms. He and some other kids opened it began trying to help the victims, he says. He says he noticed his friend sitting at her desk with her hands covering her face. And he says that the girl asked him to hide the backpack with the gun in it. And Jordan said no. And then he says he moved away from her because he was a little bit scared. Yeah. (laughs) But he said she doesn't do bad things. She just stays quiet. Hmm. Jordan was crying when he called his mom from a borrowed cell phone to tell her he was okay. You know your mom's cell phone number? No. I just have it as mom's cell in right. my... I mean, if you had to borrow my phone... I know my home phone, my parents' home phone number. Oh, they still have a home phone. Yeah. Okay. Just, I thought about that. I don't know if my, I don't know if my kids would know my number. Yeah. You know? it's. I don't think... I, I, I have a handful of numbers I know, and it's <laughs> they my... All, they all pre-date child. cell phones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
Um, the, the an internal district audit of 20 schools released a couple of months ago, almost a year ago, actually, found inconsistencies in how random searches are conducted. We talked about this yesterday. L.A. Unified is the only district that requires every middle and high school campus to do these daily random searches for weapons using those little uh, airport metal detector wands. But they did a 20-school audit, and they found inconsistencies in how they were done. Some of them don't do them daily. A quarter of them don't even have enough metal detecting wands to do a search properly. This all started 25 years ago, I guess it was. 1993, when a 16-year-old was shot and killed at Fairfax High. The following month, a student died at Reseda High from a shooting. And then in 2011, the district required the daily searches with the metal detecting wands. Uh, I'd like to start doing that around here. Metal detecting wands? Mm -hmm. I don't think this points to anything wrong with L.A. Unified. Um, Was it the school board president who got up yesterday and said, we love our children? Monica Garcia. Yes. We love our children. Well, I don't think there's any – I don't have any doubt, or I should say I generally don't have any doubt – that people who work in the school system love kids. You gotta love kids if you're gonna hang around them for that yeah. long. You gotta you gotta really like kids, and uh, uh, kudos to them. But this doesn't necessarily point to a failure on anything uh, on the administrators at Castro or the security system that's set up outside. Although, uh, because there's no guarantee that even a random search would have turned up this girl and her gun. It points to me to the a, parents, to the parents, yeah. or the mom, or whoever's whoever's gun this is. The 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 school chief um, uh, Zipperman. I said this yesterday. L.A. has a law about the safe storage of weapons, according to Mike Fewer. And Steve Zipperman says, "Listen, I don't know how a twelve year old gets access to a gun and brings it to campus, but you've got to keep your weapon. You, the adult, you have to keep your weapon secure and away from your kids. It's on you. I would be." Really surprised if there are not charges filed against whoever's gun that is, the adult whose gun that is. It's got to be. It's got to happen. Well, it's got to be. It's got to happen just to just to uh, what's the word? Make an example out of him or her. Um, You mentioned the two people who were hurt. The the male 15 year old boy shot in the head, stable condition. Uh, The girl shot in the wrist, fair condition. Three other people suffered minor injuries, a 30-year-old woman, an 11-year-old boy, and a 12-year-old girl. And the other issue of they kept the kids in school all day. Yeah, well, if it was accidental, it makes a little bit more sense. But yesterday, when we didn't know it was accidental and Monica Garcia took the podium and said today was an uncomfortable day, that was maddening. Uh, Tell that to the parents of the boy who was shot in the head. Was it an uncomfortable day for you? Well, you must have had a little stressful afternoon. You know, for all the kids who, uh, little kids, 12-year-old kids who uh, got saw people get shot in their classroom, would you describe that as uncomfortable? No. <laughs> Let's not short sell what it was. It I was might, terrifying. I might start with uncomfortable and end somewhere uh, around the life If somebody got shot here, it would be more than uncomfortable if it was an accident or not an accident. Anyway. We come back. Uh, we have a dads to salute. Also, I just realized something. Yeah. I am not going to be having any alcoholic beverages uh, at Super Bowl party. What? Because This Is Us is following the Super Bowl. 
and it's the episode where we learn how the record dad it. died. I'm not going to record it. I'm not going to record it. Record it, it and watch it, it the next day. I'm going to watch it live. Why? <laughs> because I want to see it. Boring. <sighs> You're boring. Larry Nasser uh, gets attacked in court. We'll talk about that when we come back. Just because I have a heart, I'm boring. Amy, you and my wife can sit there and cry, cry together. Yeah. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, uh, our flashback Friday is Prince, because it's clear, had Prince not passed away, he would be doing the halftime show in his uh, in his hometown there. Um, but the Super Bowl this weekend, of course, Philadelphia and New England playing in Minnesota, where it's seven degrees below zero or something crazy like that. Uh, uh, toasty 72 inside that uh, inside the dome. Coming up after the top of the hour, the Natalie Wood death investigation gets new life. We'll tell you all the details. But first, Larry Nasser, that sicko child molester who was crowned the king of bodies by USA Gymnastics and Michigan State. Larry Nasser, he's still in a sentencing hearing. I can't believe that this is going on still, but... Uh, That's were, how many girls he molested. Yeah. There were three girls, three sisters, as a matter of fact, who were the latest women to be uh, or to have the opportunity to face this guy in court. Um, two of the girls had just told the judge that they and their third sister had been sexually abused by Larry Nasser under the guise of medical treatment. And we've known that he did that for years. And their dad, Randall Margraves, later addressed the court telling the judge that he was speaking up as a distraught father. Uh, He stood at the courtroom podium. He looked at Nasser. He shook his head. He called him a profanity. And Margraves asked the judge for five minutes alone with Larry Nasser. And the judge said, listen, you know I can't do that. And then he said, how about this? How about one minute? You can hear the emotion in his voice. I would ask you to, as part of this sentencing, to grant me five minutes in a locked room with this <laughs> demon. I have would you do that? I, I, that is not Yes or I, no? No, sir, I can't Would you give me that. one minute? <laughs> I, you know that I can't do that. That's not how I would go. Well, I'm going to have to give someone. <laughs> Uh, he goes over the railing, over one of the lawyer's tables, over a second lawyer's table before the deputies are able to, when the, one of the deputies and one of the lawyers able to get in between Randall Margraves and Larry Nasser, And they tackle him and they put him down. And you can hear very calmly, actually, one of the deputies telling him, stay down, stay down. How this doesn't happen, how it hasn't happened every single time there has been an adult parent in the room with this guy while these women are explaining and detailing 
his abuses. How it hasn't happened every time, I just don't know. More than 30 victim statements, uh, victims have given statements so far during this hearing, which we began Wednesday and is going to stretch into next week. A similar hearing ended last week, you remember. 150 girls and women came forward, and then the judge laid into this guy for, what was it, 45 minutes she laid into the guy. Earlier uh, today, the judge reopened the hearing by saying that controversial comments made by one of the uh, attorneys was unfortunate. I guess a lawyer told a radio station that she doubted the large number of women and girls who say they are victims. How do you do that? How do you say now that, oh, I mean, it's not 150. It's probably closer to like 130. I don't know how the this is the first parent or the first person to to come at this guy. I don't either. I, I mean, if I, I would, I don't either. Because these girls, you know, at the time didn't know what he was doing was wrong. They were, you know, they were nine, they 10, were little, eleven, and now they're adults. And how they've been able to hold their composure? We, we talked about this story the other day with uh, with our daughter, and she's fifteen. Like. She would know, and we kind of jokingly played with the whole, uh, hey, you know, not in the bathing suit area, waka waka, on top of the actual legit conversations that we've had with her about what is appropriate, what's not. And when you think about the fact that the that in many of these cases there was a parent in the room. In the room. And he was doing it, and he was manipulating the circumstances in such a way with a sheet, with his own body. He was hiding what he was physically doing to these girls. So it's another level of security, right? Well, my parents in the room, nothing bad could be happening to me. Even if your gut kicks in and it's like, this doesn't seem right. What the hell? My but, ankle, it's my ankle injury. What's going on here? But imagine if, if your you- mom's in the room chatting with the doctor who's doing this, you... Oh, okay. Well, everything must be in order. Apparently, that it doesn't feel right, but I guess it's it's okay. So sick using the parents as a tool to molest the kids. You're the mom who then finds out from a police detective when he when you were in the room with your daughter, he was doing. I would the guilt would never leave you. It was one of those things where you like you'd kiss your husband on the forehead and say, "I will see you uh, on I guess every other visitor's weekend or something like that," and then and then walk out the door and never come back until the guy's dead. Yeah. I, that's what I would kind of expect my wife to do in a situation like that. Your wife would do that. She would kill that guy. And she clearly, she said that to our daughter. She said, listen, he would not be alive. James Comey is weighing in on the memo. The former director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. He's calling it dishonest and misleading and says, that's it? Yeah. Oh. Well, the answer. one... The one line that we had taken out of there and said was probably the most important line in all of it was that former Deputy Director Andrew McCabe testified before the House Intelligence Committee that no surveillance warrant would have been sought from the FISA court without the the information from the Steele dossier. A couple of Democrats have said that that line, the way we – I just read it directly out of the memo, that that line is misleading about the actual testimony from that day. So oh. find out exactly what he said about I'd like that. to hear that. Gary and Shannon will continue. When we come back, we're going to get into uh, the big story about Natalie Wood. The case had been reopened a few years ago, and just this week we found out that her husband, her two-time husband, Robert Wagner, 
is now being considered a person of interest. If you don't know much about the story of Natalie Wood and how she died, it is a fascinating unsolved mystery. Talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, we will have all your Super Bowl information. Nothing with the X's and O's, of course. We won't break down coverages or anything. But we will have some interesting stories, like the Tom Brady kiss and the Eagles. Bird flu. Bird flu. Everyone on the Eagles apparently has the I see what you did there. See, because they're Eagles. Mm -hmm. It's a bird. Bird of prey, as a matter of fact. Everybody on the Eagles has the flu. I don't think that's a good Allegedly. Thing. Allegedly. Very true. Uh, it is Memo Day. We have posted the Nunez memo up on the website if you want to go check it out and read through it yourself. Uh, raise any questions that you might have. We will talk more about it in the 12 o'clock hour we get into Swamp Watch. Uh, one of the things to keep an eye on today is the fact that the uh, the Dow has been down. We see the Dow down 400 and almost 50 points right now which would be the biggest drop uh, probably in... Well, it may be a bit of a correction. It, it, it's the always going to be a correction, The market was due yes. for a correction, uh, which may not be a bad thing. And it may not have anything to do with the memo necessarily. Right. I'm not saying that I'm because there's been other economic yeah. news that has come out. But I, don't think it do- I don't think it does. It's, I think it's, it's unusual just- that this has been the – I think this is the biggest point drop so far this year, and probably this week is going to be one of the worst weeks we've seen in a couple of years. One of the biggest mysteries in Hollywood is the death of Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood was born Natalia Zakarenko. She was a child star. She began acting in films before she was five. And her big breakout was in 1947, Miracle on 34th Street. Then she went on to earn her first Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress as a teenager in Rebel Without a Cause and had nominations for Best Actress in Splendor in the Grass, and Love with the Proper Stranger in the 60s. She was a very much beloved actress. She was married to Robert Wagner, known as R.J. in Hollywood, uh, twice, actually. And it was during their second marriage that Natalie Wood drowned off the coast of Catalina. A bunch of weird stuff about her fear of water. Yes. Her, her mom, I guess, instilled in her a fear of water. And uh, there was a uh, story that she took her, uh, she took young Natalie to a fortune teller at some point, and that the fortune teller told her that she was going to die while drowning, like uh, die of drowning. Just but, a bizarre. But she did boat. love the sea. But she loved boating. She, she loved the ocean. And Wagner loved it. They had a 60 footer named The Splendor. At the time, she was 43 years old mother of two, and married to RJ. He was 51 at the time. And the the circumstances of the death are these. They were anchored off Catalina. They had a day of sailing on the Splendor. And on November 29th, 1981, she disappears from the boat. And why, we we still haven't found out. But hours later, she's found... She's in a flannel nightgown, red down jacket, blue socks, 
and she's floating in the Pacific about a mile away from the yacht off the island's Blue Cavern Point. Her death is ruled an accidental drowning at the time. But the L.A. County Sheriff's Department reopens the case just in 2011. And in 2012, the cause of death on her death certificate is changed to drowning and other undetermined factors. Yeah, they did away with the accidental drowning. And when asked why it is the coroner went through or the medical examiner went through and changed the cause of death, they said that the biggest clue to there being some other aspect of this death was the number of bruises that she had all over her body. Showing a struggle, right? Yesterday, sheriff's detectives say that they are now considering Robert Wagner, RJ, again, a person of interest, and they want to speak with him again. And carefully, they said it's not a suspect. But because he was, according to the other witnesses who at least have, I mean, were close by, including Christopher Walken, which is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, but, he was starring with her. He was he was in a movie with her with, at Brainstorm. The time. Do you yeah. ever see that movie, Brainstorm? No, that was one of the first movies I ever rented oh, really? on VHS. Was, was it good? Brainstorm. It was totally R-rated, and I never should have watched it. It blew my mind. Really? It was a bizarre... in a sex way. There was some of that, mm. um, but they were in that movie together, and they so they were friends at least, and there was uh, some allegations that there may have been more to their relationship. But Christopher Walken, Robert Wagner, Natalie Wood, and the boat captain, who at the time of all of this was like 19 years old or 20 years old or something like that. He was a really young guy. Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner spent most of their weekends and holidays on this boat. And contrary to all the reports of her being deathly afraid of water, Seems like she didn't seem afraid of water at all. I mean, sailors uh, often saw her skimming around the harbor alone, they said, in a little rubber dinghy that was like the tender for the yacht. And this is 1981, Thanksgiving holiday weekends approaching, and they were, as usual, enjoying their professional success, both Wagner's. Uh, Robert Wagner was co-starring in a very highly rated TV series, Heart to Heart, Natalie was making brainstorm with uh, with Christopher Walken, and that's why they invited Walken to join them on their yacht for this holiday weekend. Now, bad weather was predicted for this night, November 28th, and they said it was a cold, piercing rain that swept over the bay, pummeling the faces of those going ashore in small boats for dinner. They said the sea wasn't rough. The dinghies had no difficulty negotiating the waves. And twice earlier in the day, Natalie Wood was seen uh, going to shore in her dinghy alone. So the story that she got in an argument with Robert Wagner and then got into the dinghy to leave and slipped and fell is not out of the ordinary. Not out of the ordinary. Now, Robert Wagner says they didn't fight. Although the boat captain says there was a fight, there were other people who were moored nearby who there was, in fact, somebody who said, I can tell that's Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner. They're they're famous people. I could tell that they're the ones arguing on the back of this boat. Information about the dinner they had has come out. Natalie Wood, Robert Wagner, Christopher Walken eating at Doug's Harbor Reef. They were seen drinking champagne. 
They were there for a couple hours. They kept ordering more champagne. The night manager of the restaurant says he was worried. He felt that the Wagners were so intoxicated they may not make it back to their yacht. They didn't leave the restaurant until 10.30. They were there at 5 to begin with. So they were drinking 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 for five and a half hours. I saw a graphic that described how much they had just at dinner, not not counting what they had uh, previous to sitting down to dinner at the bar. They had two bottles of wine, two bottles of champagne, and then like eight daiquiris between them. That sounds delicious, doesn't it? A daiquiri right now? But they're also sitting there for five and a half hours. I mean, yes, that's a lot of alcohol, and that's going to get you drunk. Yeah. And, in fact, she was drunk when they found her. When they found her body, they, right. she had a blood alcohol content of 0.14. So she had been seriously when they found drinking. the body. Wow. Well, it's going to stop metabolizing once she dies. But, but still, let's yeah. assume she died at, say, midnight. Um, th- she had stopped drinking for all intents and purposes at, say, 10. So a couple hours later, and it's still at a point one four. She's She's pretty good. She's pretty, uh, pretty sauced at that point. There were reports that they heard, people on other boats heard Natalie Wood's cries. At 1.15 a.m., somebody say, said they heard her cries. The weirdest, the weirdest thing to me is that there was this ongoing argument, according to the captain of the boat again, there was this ongoing argument between Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood down in the, uh, in the cabin. And that Christopher Walken, who was friends with Natalie Wood, whether he was romantically in, uh, interested in her or what, it's not clear, but they were at least friends. When asked why... He didn't step in or get involved in the argument. Christopher Walken's reply was, and I don't do a Christopher Walken, so I'm not even going to try. You don't get in between a man and his wife when they're arguing. Especially when alcohol's involved. Especially when alcohol's involved. There was also a broken wine bottle in the cabin that investigators found the next day when they went through after they had found Natalie Wood's body. Robert Wagner originally said that was because of the uh, the the rough seas that night and then changed his story later and said, uh, I threw it down out of anger as part of, you know, a fight that even though we said we never really, it, that didn't happen. Now, the when you look into the allegation, at least the, the story that they told the investigators, being Robert Wagner, Christopher Walken, that they believed that she had either gotten up to go to the dinghy and get out of there Go back to the restaurant, which doesn't make any sense why she would have been wearing a nightgown, knee-high wool socks, and a flannel or a a big puffy jacket. That didn't make any sense. Or that the dinghy, which had been tied up to the side of the the, uh, yacht there in the rough seas, was actually banging into the side of the boat. And if she was trying to go to sleep, that's going to annoy the crap out of you. That's why she was still in her night clothes. Although dressed for a short time out on deck, she put her jacket on and maybe some wool socks to, I don't know, reach over, retie the dinghy so that it was closer up against the boat and wouldn't bang against it, and then somehow lost her balance, hit her head, and fell into the water. I don't know Robert Wagner, so I don't know about his character. But one can surmise a little bit from just knowing the facts that Natalie Wood was married to him 
Then they were divorced. Then they were married again. What does that tell you about a couple that is that it, that married a, and then divorced and then gets married again? That it's a volatile Volatile as hell. Yeah. A lot of emotion, a lot of passion, a lot of anger and love. <laughs> All of that, you know. And I don't know if he was capable of tossing her over the boat, knowing that she couldn't swim, if he would be capable of not going in after her and getting her. You know, if he hated her enough to toss her, yes. I don't think he'd be able to walk away without going in and getting her. I just don't know with a relationship like that. Christopher Walken doesn't like to talk about this. No. Christopher Walken was co-starring, as we said, with Natalie Wood in a film at the time. And he has basically said nothing in public about what happened. You, you can't get him to talk about it. But in 1997... He did sit down with Playboy magazine in one of those great interviews. One of those great articles <laughs> that everyone bought the magazine for. There were articles in those? <laughs> he says that his theory is this. That Natalie Wood was half asleep. She couldn't swim. She went to go move a dinghy because it was bouncing against the side of the boat. And she slipped on a ski ramp partially in the water. She hit her head, fell into the water, and floated away. That's a hell of a lot of detail for a, for a theory. And furthermore, if you were that deep into your daiquiris and bubbles, would it bother you that the dinghy was hitting the edge of the boat? Probably not. No, 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 no. You're passed out. You are passed the hell out. You don't hear, if, you don't hear that boat. You don't hear anything. No, you spin your way down and it's you're asleep within 40 seconds. Right. Um, um, Dennis Davern, the boat captain, is now just 55 because you said, like you said, he was really young. And he lives in Florida now. And he has told differing accounts about what happened that night on board Splendor. Yeah, because he's also hammered. He's also a hammered? No, he's also hammered. Well, he wasn't at the dinner. But he he was partaking with them all, all weekend long. Oh, there were reports so like of him residual. Uh... Because there was another story that they had gotten into a fight that all four of them got into this rousing political discussion, and Natalie wanted to take off and spend the night at the hotel on the island, so that the captain took her, and they spent the night in the hotel. Not that there was anything sexual going on, mm. but they tipped back a couple glasses of wine together. You know. That I mean, there's a there's this weird How undercurrent. Old he, in all of, How old he, was he at the time? Well, if he's 55 now, is he 55, 37, 37 years ago? So he, he was 18, 18, and she's 43. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But come on, look at that 43. That's a well, I know, but you know what happens around 43? What for a lady? What? Well, you start wanting your youth back. Oh, I see. And here you've got this 18 year old boat captain. <laughs> I don't know. All right. But anyway, he has told differing accounts of what went on. First telling police it was an accident and then later implying that something bad had happened. He did an interview in 2011 with the Today Show and said he lied to police at first. He said, I made mistakes by not telling the honest truth in the initial police report. And when asked if Wagner had more of a responsibility in the case... He said, yes, I would say so, yes, but he refused to elaborate. 
I, I have a quick thing to pull the car over for, yes. something you you touched on. They got into a fight over politics on a boat. You're on a boat with four people. Are you going to bring up politics? You're hammered. Still. I kind of think nothing's off the table once you're hammered. Yeah, but it's just one of those topics you wouldn't want to bring up when you've got nowhere to go. Um, I want to go through one of the theories about why she was so bruised up. Um, and this was from one of the coroners, a medical examiner, Dr. Thomas Noguchi, who's still around, by the way, still around. But we have some money to give away. We have a thousand bucks, and here's how you're going to win it. Ooh. You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. And answer the phone. They'll call you if you win 1000 bucks. If you don't win this time, we've got another one another hour from now. And then all the way through 620 tonight. A couple detectives have been investigating this, ca- this case since 2011. They've spent about six years on this bad boy. Somebody wants this thing solved. An L.A. County Sheriff's Department Lieutenant John Carina says of R.J., Robert Wagner, that now we know he was the last person to be with Natalie before she disappeared. And he's more of a person of interest now. And the autopsy report plays a big role in that. This autopsy report, at least the way it's written up by uh, Noguchi in a, in a book that he put together called Coroner, um, in the context of what you were talking about, these these detectives that are now on the case, one of them says she looked like a victim of an assault because of the number of bruises that they found. They talked about uh, a recent widespread bruise about four inches by one inch over the lateral aspect of Natalie Wood's right arm above the wrist. Okay, so right about here, if you were to say, grab someone. And then there was also one on her left wrist, a smaller one, but also a, a bruise on her left wrist. There were superficial skin bruises about a half inch to one dry, uh, half to one inch in diameter scattered over the right and left lower legs, and those appeared to be fresh. There was a left knee area that showed recent bruising, a right ankle had a recent bruise, small superficial bruises on, on the posterior aspect of both lower legs that measured a half inch to two inches. And then an abrasion on the left cheek. Well, let's just think, though, in the theory that she fell, maybe hit something on the way into the water. That would explain the cheek, perhaps. Maybe even some of the leg. Maybe some of the bruises. Sure. Or maybe she got some bruises on her legs when she was bouncing around after bottles of bubbles and daiquiris. Possible as well. But the wrist one. That's the interesting That's one. That's not a drunk bruise. But there's an explanation for it. Oh. Or there, there's a possible explanation okay. for it. How's that? I'll get to that in a second. The flannel nightgown, the down jacket. The down jacket weighed about 40 pounds, they said, when they removed it for the autopsy because it was soaked with ocean water. And if that, I mean, obviously it's really light when you put it on, but if it's soaked in water, it's going to weigh you down. And if you got a 0.14 blood alcohol content, you're not thinking about shedding that jacket to get back to safety once you fall in. Not necessarily. Or if you are, maybe your motor skills are retarded enough that you can't do it. You can't take the jacket off. So all of that stuff. Um, 
the way that Noguchi writes this up in his book is he says the saddest part of the story was revealed in the clothing she had worn. The reason she drowned was the great weight of the jacket which had pulled her down when she attempted to climb into the dinghy. If she had just taken off that jacket, she might easily have made it into the dinghy and survived. The jacket does suggest, well, who knows if they were, who knows if she put it on to go in the dinghy and get out of there. Or if she put it on because she and RJ were going to be fighting outside and it's cold. Right. Either one could be the answer. Here's another key. There was another. But she guy. didn't have shoes on. She didn't have shoes on. She just That's had a problem. The wool socks. That's a problem. Did she have shoes on at some point? Did they ever find the shoes, or were all her shoes accounted for? Good question. Because she wouldn't leave the boat to go in the dinghy back to shore without, without shoes. shoes. Right. Here's another one. Um, a guy named Paul Miller. Paul Miller was one of the investigators uh, for Noguchi. And he pointed to that specific area of Catalina, right off Catalina, of Isthmus Bay, where the Splendor had been docked. And he drew an arrow that goes through the mountains uh, of the island and points towards the ships in the bay. And that says that's the wind tunnel. This is where the wind comes in off the ocean, over the island, straight through that area. And he says that the Splendor would have been, if it was anchored by a bow line right off the front, it would be pointed in the direction of the wind. Just the wind co- going okay. over it would, would end up lining up, so it would be pointing into the wind. And that the dinghy would be right behind it. If she untied that and got in it or untied it and fell in and the dinghy's loose, it would have blown way out into the ocean towards the mainland. I see. It, but it ended up on the island, and she was close to the island also, huh. although the wind would have taken her out. Here's his theory, and this explains all of those bruises. She goes out. um, Whether or not she was trying to stop it from banging up against the dinghy or she wanted to get out of there because of some fight that was going on or she was uncomfortable, that she might have been reaching for the dinghy. Like she tried to untie it, and Mm -hmm. it just started to float away because of the wind was pushing it away from the boat. She reaches in for it, and that's when she falls in. And then you've got the 0.14 blood alcohol content that prevents her from swimming well. Why the doesn't 40-pound she... jacket that – why doesn't she just turn around and get back onto the dinghy or um, get back onto the yacht, right? There was – Why doesn't she scream for help? Uh, don't know if she could. Don't know if that was a reaction. But they said that they didn't find any slips or anything on the side of the stairs or the step that comes off the back of the yacht. So it wasn't like she slipped off the step or even tried to – her grip slipped as she was trying to get back on. There was no evidence of that. But she bobs to the surface, at that point thinking she's not really in danger, grabs for the dinghy but realizes on a big, you know, a high-sided inflatable dinghy like that, you can't just pull yourself in. And at that point, the jacket's already gaining the the weight. The jacket's gaining weight. Maybe she hooks her arm in – the dinghy, the rope on the side of the dinghy, so that she's holding herself up. But that much stress in a bouncy ocean like that is clearly going to cause bruising. Why isn't she screaming for help? That's what doesn't make sense. But there were people who said they heard her screaming for help. Yeah, but... Yeah. But not Robert Wagner, not Christopher Walken, and not the captain of the ship. That's the thing. Why wouldn't they hear her if she was screaming for help? And... 
there was a mysterious party that was going on on shore. One of the people in the boats in that harbor had also complained to Harbor Patrol that the music was too loud. I can't sleep. But it was music from a party on shore. Right. So maybe that drowned out her cries. This is the thing. That makes sense. She starts becoming frightened. She realizes no one can hear her. The, one of the ways you can get into a dinghy like that is by using the engine. Sometimes there's usually a step underneath where the propeller would be, and you can wrap your arm around it with your back to the engine, put your feet behind you, and push yourself up onto the back of the boat. Maybe she tried that. That would explain the bruises on the backs of her legs. But she's never able to actually get in. What she does, though, is uses the inflatable dinghy as her life preserver and starts kicking and swimming as much as she can back towards the island. She can't steer herself back to the Splendor, but she knows if she can make it to the island, she'll be okay. All of this going on after midnight in the middle of the dark. It's 2.33, however long she was alive, fighting for her life. And then at 7.30 the next morning is when the Coast Guard helicopter found her body. Not too far offshore, and the boat itself had actually ended up on the rocks on the island. Then why won't Christopher walk and talk about it? I don't know. If there's nothing to talk about, if you were asleep or passed out or had heard nothing or whatever, why wouldn't you talk about it? Because it's embarrassing. I'm not saying he's culpable. I'm, not say- I'm just saying. I don't know. 48 Hours is doing a whole big thing. I think tomorrow night is when this thing airs with the the new detectives and all of that stuff on CBS. It's a. I think BuzzFeed did a a whole unsolved mystery thing on this, and it was pretty fascinating to watch. So, anyway. Coming up next, Steve Wynn is calling on employees to be good family members. Yes, that's Steve Wynn. <laughs> the okay. one in the Larry Bird shorts at his manicure sans underwear. Larry Bird. Why does Larry Bird get such a bad name for all of this? It's because of the shorts. I know, but he doesn't wear those All right, anymore. John Stockton, should I use him? Just mix somebody in. Also yeah. tiny shorts. Okay, that's fine. Michael Jordan, 1986. Those were some short shorts, too. Gary and Shannon, that was unfreshing believable. Did you oh, have one of those? Yeah, that was really good. That meatball slider? Very good meatball slider. Thank you to uh, the people at Fresh Brothers. By the way, tomorrow is your last day to order before the football game on Sunday. Listen to this. If you pre-order at Fresh Brothers for Super Bowl Sunday, you get 10% off your entire order. We're talking pizza, delicious pizza, wings, meatball, chicken parmesan sliders, and more. Uh, FreshBrothers.com. You can also download their app. 12 locations, L.A., 5 in Orange County. Now open in Burbank, of course. And, yes, they do deliver FreshBrothers.com. Top of the hour, we're going to get into all of our trending stories. The big one today is uh, Memo Day. Today, finally, the Republican members of the House Intelligence Committee unveiled their memo about what they believe was political considerations that the FBI gave when they opened up an investigation into Carter Page. Uh, We do have the memo up on the website if you want to go check it out, kfiam640.com. 
And uh, I would suggest you do. I mean, there's there's stuff in there that even if you do not believe it or you don't like it, you got to know what's in there. Remember we told you about the Wall Street Journal? They did a series of interviews with more than 150 people who work for Steve Wynn at Wynn Resorts. And what they told the Wall, the Wall Street Journal was appalling. Tales of him forcing masseuses to massage his genitals, telling them don't ignore it any longer. Him forcing them to have sex, despite them saying, I'm married, I have kids. He did not care. It seemed like this was pervasive, and he had been doing it for decades. Well, in a series of meetings with his Las Vegas casino personnel in recent days since the bombshell report, Steve Wynn has reportedly been urging employees to rally to his side. There were audio recordings of the meetings made by the participants. He did not, in these meetings, directly address the allegations against him, according to these recordings. Instead, he stressed that he considered his employees a family. Mm -hmm. In difficult financial times in the past, he said, we were a family. It wasn't every man for himself. And that family culture has made us great. Let's pull over the car. You have a family. I do. (laughs) Yes, I do. You don't treat your family the way Steve Wynn it's, was treating his employees. It's weird. I don't. It's weird. Huh. I know. Well, Isn't listen. it even grosser that he post these revelations that he's using this family uh, line of uh, manipulation? What I think is even worse is his spokespeople are saying... Uh, you know, cherry picking some comments out of a 20 minute extemporaneous conversation doesn't really reflect the general tenor of the meeting. Why was Steve Wynn even up there? If, uh, by the way, that was Michael Weaver, who was a spokesman for Wynn Resorts. Michael, um, you might want to suggest to your boss that he is not the face of the company that anyone wants to see right now. God bless you. I'm allergic to things. That was a big one. <laughs> Bless you. Now you're done for the day. You only get two. I'm just kidding. The story about Steve Wynn and the things that he was making his uh, subordinates do is as disgusting as any of the stories that we've seen in the context of uh, this post-Harvey Weinstein world. Side note, I pulled up a 1986 picture of the Bulls playing the Celtics, and Michael Jordan's shorts were substantially... Longer than Larry Bird's. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize they could have differences in uniforms back then. That was one of the problems with Steve Wynn. He was showing up to pedicure appointments in tiny shorts with not uh, any underwear on and exposing himself. That was one of his misdeeds. That's one way he treated his family members. Yes, you. I have a question. Yeah. Um, Let's say in your other life you were a, a pedicurist. Mm-hmm. As they say. An esthetician of sorts. That's a great word. It's a better word. It sounds better. You're an esthetician. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get pedicures. And some guy, even if he's an attractive guy, rolls in with your John Stockton shorts. Okay. And while you are you got the belt sander out and you're grinding away on this guy's toenails, mm-hmm. right? I don't know what happens in a pedicure. Never had one. Don't want to. I'm fine. Your feet are fine. And you I've look up feet. and you look up and you're like, oh, my gosh. Twig and berries. Mm -hmm. Is that a moment for a woman where you go, oh, dear me, I do declare. 
and you start getting the vapors and you start getting all romantic and stuff or no and we've underscored this line of 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 questions women don't work like that because we don't work like which is Generally. why i don't understand men taking their genitals out uh, as a move like Look okay. at all, all this. Can I please also ask, and I know no one can see this. <laughs> you don't want me to. But I don't want you doing this thing with your hand where you go, where you take your genitals out, and then you do the weird, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't well, know how I, many times how it's been taken out. Them out. Like this. <sighs> I suppose, but you look like uh, you look like you're at ancient Roman times, and you're handing over your bag of, of gold coins to the tax collector or something. It's just a bizarre... Anyway, Steve uh, Wynn, Steve Wynn has times. absolutely no ground to to stand on when he looks into the crowd and says, "We are a family. It wasn't every man for himself, and that family culture has made us great. It was every man for himself. And even if it wasn't every man for himself, it was the lead man for himself. The face of the organization was the guy who was doing it completely for selfish reasons." I want to know how many people walked out, Luis Gutierrez style, walked out in the middle of the uh, speech that he gave. We do have a very sad story coming up. Oh. I don't want to do a sad story. I know, but it's Friday. we do need to get this out. Um, oh, is, yeah. oh, this story. Well, you know why we have to okay. do this story, I right? Because you won't get on board my Build the Bridge platform. It's a sad story. It's not an angry story. It is an angry story because if we had built the bridge weeks ago, this mountain lion would have crossed safely. Go Shannon. Not, Go Shannon. Not clear if that's the case. That is absolutely the case. We will tell you about and what you happened. You never want to do the story about the bridge. And I ask all the time. We'll tell you what happened to P23 when we come back. Friday, February 2nd, you're going to know it as uh, Memo Day. Looks like Memo Day has been trending for quite a while and will continue to do so because the uh, Republican House committee members, the House Intelligence Committee members, released their findings that they have been sitting on for some time, waiting for the president to unclassify them and basically give them permission to release this document that the FBI had said might actually put some things at risk like national security. But it basically outlines what they say was the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Justice using a bad document, in this case the Christopher Steele dossier that he put together for uh, opposition research for the Clinton uh, campaign and the Democratic National Committee, that they used that in an attempt to get the warrants to spy on Carter Page, who was a Trump confidant who ended up having some connection to Washington or to, uh, to Moscow. The Democrats do have some information out. They haven't released their version to actually fill in the blanks that they say uh, are in this Republican document, but they have some of that. At the bottom of next hour, we're going to talk a lot more about what's in the memo and what the Democrats say is missing from the memo. P-23 has died. 
P23 has been tracked since she was just a few weeks old. They documented when she left her mom. They documented her establishing her home range as an adult. And they documented her birth to three litters of kittens, all documented by biologists for Santa Monica Mountains National Rec Area. Unfortunately, P23's life came to an end prematurely because she was trying to cross the road. Hey, the good news is... She was found near Malibu Canyon Road. The good news is she had three litters of of mountain lion kittens. That's true. The bad news is... She's dead. Well, yes. Because you... No, hold on. The, The bad news is the father of the kittens was also her father who was also her grandfather. Do you see what we're doing to the mountain lions without the bridge? They're not able to cross and have sex with mountain lions outside their own family. Do you see why we need the bridge? That's what P23 was trying to do. She didn't want to make mountain lions with her father and grandfather anymore. You mean her father slash grandfather. She wanted to find... Somebody outside the family to mate with for her fourth litter. And in doing so, she was killed by a car. But you make it sound like it was one of those uh, teen angst movies where she's like, I got to get out of this town and find a find a man. Is that? Well, I guess so. I mean, she had to have sex with her grandfather and her father who was her grandfather, because that's the only mountain lion she had access to. And so for the sake of her unborn mountain lions, her unborn kittens, she was leaving that incestuous land to find somebody who would be a better mate for her children. Would dropping in... And she was killed because there was no bridge. Would dropping in two male mountain lions into the area, would that make a difference? That's, I mean, a, that's a really that are... good question because that would be easier than building a bridge if we could just bring in some some different mountain lion uh, tail. And you don't need to go too far to find other mountain. I mean, you could get mountain lions from right yeah, over there. I've over... Got, I think I have mountain lions in my backyard. Grab one of those, mm-hmm. throw it in the back of the car, head on down the 101, let them out on the appropriate side, which I would imagine would be the south side of the 101 as you're going up there. And that doesn't solve the problem, but at least it makes it a little bit more manageable, does it not? Again, I'm not arguing against the bridge, specifically just for mountain lions, or a tunnel even to go under the freeway. If they can do it for turtles up at UC Davis, I would imagine they would be able to do it for mountain lions here. I just don't know if there's as much political pull for a mountain lion Well, if we talked about it more on the show... Maybe it would, uh, maybe it would drum up some political will. I think Oscar is more your roadblock than me. He's the one who doesn't like animals. Oh, he's the one who doesn't want the bridge. I don't think so. I don't put this on him. I love animals. As All a matter animals? of fact, it's Ernie's birthday today. It is. And I want to say happy birthday, Ernie, to my dog. Oh, he's twelve years old. That's how much I love animals. Would take up precious show time. <laughs> 
just to say happy birthday. What to do my you dog. guys do on his birthday? I don't know yet. We haven't decided. We're gonna take him somewhere. Wherever we go tonight, we're gonna take him with us so he can enjoy the night. Aww. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm gonna be in Hollywood tonight if you want to bring him by for some cocktails. All right. He loves cocktails. <laughs> I mean, it's his birthday. Oh, boy. All right. Um, Anyway, I think we could weave in building the bridge into the show a little bit more. Can we not? Sure. All right. As long as we use this picture of P23 when she was a kitten. Look at her. Come on. Look at those claws, though. Yeah. Those would pull out your viscera. I think your idea of me putting a mountain lion in the back of my car... And driving uh, 45 miles with it is a bad one. Probably not the smartest. But I've been, I've known you to make some bad decisions in the past. So, What's the matter? We'll do all of our trending stories when we come back and get into Swamp Watch at 1230 and talk all about this Republican memo that came out today. On Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk coming up. We've got the story of a naked man who went on quite the spree at a complex in Florida. And him being naked is just the beginning, by the way. That's like the most normal part of it. We have. mm, That's one of a couple of weird stories that we're going to get into. And at the bottom of the hour, all the latest on Memo Day. You can read the Nunez memo online and. Karen Travers uh, from the White House is going to join us and talk about what it is that we see in there. Maybe if this has anything to do with the fact that we're seeing a really bad day on Wall Street today, the Dow's down 600 points. Uh, We'll talk about all of that stuff coming up. But, hey, there's other stuff going on as well. Time for What's Happening. We spent the first half hour of the show talking about the Nunez memo that has been released. This is all about... The FBI and the Justice Department and the information it used to obtain a warrant to look into Carter Page, who was a volunteer with the Trump campaign, and whether or not he had ties to Russia, whether or not this is all about whether Russia influenced the election, who who was in on it, the whole bit. The Christopher Steele dossier was the dossier that the DNC commissioned. Um, it, Like you said earlier, it started uh, in the Republicans' court, but it's the Democrats that wrote the checks to get this thing to the finish line. And it looks like the FBI used information in this dossier to get the warrant to look into Carter Page. And the memo's all about Christopher Steele and all about how Christopher Steele had it out for Trump. And here's a guy who had it out for Trump, and he's trying to compile all this salacious information, and he's trying to sell it to media outlets. And at the same time, the FBI is using this guy as their informant, as their source, to get the warrant. Now, one of the issues is that this is specifically the Republican staff, the Republican members of the House Intelligence Committee that signed off on their version of the memo. There is a Democratic version of the memo that is also supposed to include information about all of this. And Democrats have already said that the one that we're seeing today doesn't contain the whole story. I mean, one of the basic things that they point to is the Steele dossier is not 
the original document that put Carter Page on the Department of Justice radar, that the FBI was concerned about Carter Page and potentially having been infiltrated, not the right word, having been compromised by Russians two years before Donald Trump even decided to run for president. Court documents showed that there was a Russian intelligence agency that reportedly tried to recruit Carter Page as a spy in 2013. So the concern about Carter Page predated anything that had to do with the Steele dossier. But it raises questions about whether the FBI did its due diligence when it comes to figuring out who Christopher Steele was, figuring out if he was the guy who was leaking to the media, because he was. And if they knew it, number one, why didn't they stop it? If they didn't know it, that points to incompetence. Democrats have their own version of what's coming out. Adam Schiff has posted on his Twitter account a two- or three-page rebuttal, I guess you could say, pointing to some of the things that he believes were left out of the original memo. We'll talk all about that at the bottom of the hour. Markets not in good shape. Dow is down 632 points. Uh, This means the market is on track, like you said, uh, for its worst week in two years. Technology, energy stocks accounting for much of this broad slide. Several major companies, including ExxonMobil and Alphabet, have sunk after reporting weak earnings. They're saying investors have gotten more worried about a rapid rise in interest rates, along with higher inflation, could derail the market's strong ride upward. I don't think it hurts or helps necessarily that we're talking about memo gate today because you've also got um, a spike in bond yields that could mean higher borrowing costs for us that can slow economic growth. So so it's not necessarily connected. It's just a weird timing, perhaps coincidental timing of the, the markets going down and this the, being the main story today. Groundhog Day today. Six more weeks of winter. Put more some more suntan lotion on, you know. Yeah, winter's 82 been degrees. real rough, hasn't oh, it's it? Horrible. Hashtag drought. Oh. Hashtag no rain. Oh. Alex that. Trebek was quintessential Alex Trebek on Jeopardy when he had three contestants and there was one category left remaining on the board and it was football. And these people are not consumers of the NFL or even <laughs> Pop Warner. <laughs> What were some do of the questions? Do we have the audio? Uh, oh, I think we do. Let me double check. You double check that. Okay. I put it in there. There it is. Jeopardy football. There you go. Here we go. Sit back and enjoy. Uh, football 200. Your choice. Do or don't name this play in which the quarterback runs the ball and can choose to pitch it to another back. Option. That's right. Well, 400. I can tell you guys are big football fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Landry perfected the shotgun formation with this team. Cowboys. That's right. Dallas Cowboys. Now, if they're not going to get the 200 or the 400, <laughs> these are it's just going to get worse. worse. Take it on to 600. Okay, by signaling for one of these, a returner can reel in a kick without fear of getting tackled. And Alex, at this point, is doing the fair catch motions. Fair catch. Two clues left, Ryan. 800. (laughs) These penalties are simultaneous violations by the offense and defense that cancel each other out. Offsetting. Yes. And they are called offsetting penalties. 
Let's look at the $1,000 clue just for the fun of it. And what's funny is that (laughs) because the one guy picked it first, but no one got him right, Right. he's got to be the guy who goes and does it. So he's the one who looks especially like a big doofus. (laughs) As Minneapolis's U.S. Bank Stadium prepares to host Super Bowl 52, I'm looking at the Ring of Honor with names from this defensive line that took the Vikings to four Super Bowls. And Alex is like, if one of you guys gets this, I will die. Ring in and get this one. I will die. (laughs) Who are the purple people eaters? We're going to take a break. Oh, Uh, such good stuff. (laughs) Even the contestants are like nervously looking at each other. Just we don't know anything. Do we have to do this? Can't we just go to break? It was the last category. They had it cleared out. And Alex even said that at one point. He's like, do you? uh, Should we just go to break now? Right. Do you think Alex Trebek knew the answers to all of those? Yes. I think so. You think so? There are certain clues where I don't think he knew the answer and he likes to pretend he did. Yes. Those are pretty simple. Especially uh, foreign foreign words or, you know, foreign right. phrases or something he's like, like that. Of course, it's neither like, vision. <laughs> right. Duh. All right. Um, okay. The bachelor, right? The girl that Petros loves, the 22 year old. The tennis ball head. Tennis ball head. She was. Listed as a missing person on the California Department of Justice website. (laughs) There was a cover story on the North Coast Journal out of Humboldt County about swell of missing people from that area. And there she is on the list. And somebody commented on the online version. uh, Yeah, I've seen that girl. She's on The Bachelor. (laughs) Apparently, her mother reported her missing back in November, said that she had moved to the Humboldt area to work on a marijuana farm. And she hadn't heard from her. Becca is is from Fresno. I know. But is that a better uh, is that a better explanation of your absence than I'm going on The Bachelor? Yes. Mom, I'm moving up to Humboldt to farm pot. Yes. Is, be- I th- is better so, than you- I'm going on a, right. a bad reality show to date a 36 year old cotton headed ninny muggins. You're a you're a, a parent. Yeah. What would you rather? Hear your options. You go home today, and mm-hmm. your daughter comes up to you, and let's just say she's 22, and she says either A, Dad, I'm going to Humboldt County to work on a pot farm, or B. <laughs> Dad, I'm going on The Bachelor. What would you rather hear? Good point. I think that's a good point. You'd be like, smoke it up. <laughs> puff, puff. It kind of explains why she's so happy and mellow all the time. Because uh, she's a bonehead. She's 22. Well, if she's going to a pot farm, though, she's probably doing a partaking a bit. Some weird, weird stories when we come back. And I don't know if you've seen this one from, uh, from Carla in the newsroom about the uh, new... Masturbation? Yeah. Are yeah. we going to talk about that? Yeah, why not? It's a new product. Not the, It's to prevent that from happening. To not do that. Yes. Don't do that anymore. Gary and Shannon will continue. Ooh, yes, you are. Get on top. Shannon. Really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, it's Friday. Oh. Hey, Prince is actually our artist on this Flashback Friday because uh, the, the Super Bowl is going to be in Minnesota. And uh, I would assume Justin Timberlake is going to have some sort of uh, an honor, some sort of uh, a way to honor Prince's memory. Um, let's talk about some of these weird stuff. How are you going to keep please? people quiet at the Super Bowl party? What do you mean? I don't think that's a... 
Was there a problem last year? Last year we had those flags to throw around at people oh, when they can, talk too much. I got I got a couple of those in the I could take those back. Okay. Or I could just bring other stuff to throw. Also, also Kate, totally acceptable. Okay. Yep. How about some $1,000 to give away? All right. Here's how. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. And answer the phone. They'll call you if you win. If not, we have another opportunity one hour from now. To Orlando we go. Orlando, Florida. Where a man was arrested, unfortunately, because people who lived in this apartment complex there in Orlando caught the man working out in their community gym. Nothing wrong with that. What's the problem, you say? Well, he was naked. This went down at Andover Place Apartments. And this guy, his name's Carrie, Carrie Haynes. He was riding the stationary bike naked. A worker Boy, approached Carrie Haynes. There's said, probably no other piece of equipment in that entire gym right, that would be right. less appropriate to do right. while you're naked. I mean, the genitals are right there. I mean, the bench press the, is the, probably the, okay. The, the butt is right there. But, we have the guy's mugshot on the webpage. So oh, great. Stare, Wait a minute. i got to say that immediately. Can, uh, um, so a worker goes up to him, and, uh-huh. and he's like, what are you doing? And Carrie says, working out. He looks like Nick Nolte. I was just going to say that. He looks like a cleaner Nick Nolte, which isn't so saying a whole lot. But. He leaves the gym, and he goes to his apartment. Um, but on the way there, he decides to lay down on the grass and start masturbating. Right there next to the, the community pond. He, also, he doesn't stop there. Uh, no, why would you? Uh, he peed in the pool, because that's what you do. See, that's not cool. I can understand the other stuff, but peeing in the pool is not okay. Let's go back to what you just said. You can see the other stuff, like that's within the realm of possibility. the The riding the uh, the, the stationary bike. Some people are more comfortable sans clothes. Working out on a stationary bike, and I guess it's not cool that it's a community gym, but maybe it's not used that much. Maybe he's the only guy that uses the gym, and you know what? He wants to work out in the buff. All right. And then he's on his way back to his apartment, and the mood hits and him. And feels a little restless. He's feeling all hot because he just worked out, and his body's in good shape. And he lays down on the grass, and sure, hello. Sweet, sweet, sweet love to himself. But then, to mm-hmm. pee in the pool is just not cool. Do you know what could have prevented it? What? When it comes to- a bracelet that would have been able to tell when he was doing that thing to himself. Amazon is investigating the possibility of equipping their warehouse staff with hand movement trackers. Is masturbation on the job Great a thing? question. No. But there are some privacy experts who are saying if, in fact, you felt the mood in the bathroom at the Amazon warehouse, it may catch you in the act. What this is, is imagine a Fitbit, right? You wear those every once in a while. You got a little thing, right? The Fitbit, if you're working in the Amazon warehouse, actually records where your arm is, where your hand is, and the orientation of your arm. 
Is it palms up? Is it palms down? Is it to the side? Is it over your head? The reason is you would put your hand up in front of an Amazon warehouse shelf, and it would basically tell you whether you're hot or cold as you're trying to find whatever product you're looking for. It would help them orient their hands in order to find the item that they're looking for. All, of course, in the name of speedier order fulfillment. Speaking of on-the-job masturbation, there was an unspeakable thing that happened in the bathroom today on the men's side. Not that, though. It, it has since You're been not... cleaned. It has. Yeah, I just went in there, and it's it's all clean now. That's good. Yeah, you don't have to worry about jumping around and stepping in something. You guys are six species. Wait, okay, you're also this a member the of the species. Se- no. You- I just reported it to you. I, this I is the second always. time Oscar has come to me and said, there's poop on the floor of the men's bathroom. The first time was years ago with John and Ken. Yeah. And we documented that as well. All right. Well, what's the common theme of the story? What's the one thread that goes through the story? Don't do it. <laughs> It's not Oscar. Oscar's so clean. I don't think she was going to say If Robert Wagner can be named as a person of interest in a death 37 years later, I'm just saying. Not that Oscar is a suspect, but he he is a person of interest. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus for this. I'm just saying that that's a bad day. And I feel bad for who's ever poop that was because that sucks. And for whoever had to clean it up. Like, you don't get poop in the toilet. That's a bad day. And that sucks. And I feel for you. Did you did they just miss or was it not even close? You got to look on Instagram and make <laughs> it, your I don't want to look on Instagram. I know, you but can't it's... unsee that. Amy, it appears that some poop made it onto the floor and then it was maybe stepped in hmm. and then maybe smeared. And then it turned into like a Mr. Bean comedy skit where he was like <laughs> <laughs> and he tried to and then he turned over and he, he feels like he's totally fine and then he's like <laughs> and almost falls down again. <laughs> That's so, so terrible. Uh, You're a bad person. I agree. Swamp watch. Let me just say, if it was me, I would go home. You'd clean it up, then go home. You wouldn't clean it up. I would probably clean it up, but I would go home. Yeah. I would I'd be done. That would suck. That would really suck. It's a bad day. It's a bad day. <laughs> Hashtag bad day. And it's on our Instagram feed, at Gary and Shannon. Apologies ahead of time. Swamp Watch, and we come back. Karen Travis is going to talk to us about Memo Day, the Nunez Memo, the Democratic response, and what is going to be a very busy weekend in Washington, D.C. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Well, it looks like it is a full-on war between the White House and the FBI after the memo has been released. The memo that shows the FBI certainly, to some extent, relied on information contained in that dossier, the Christopher Steele dossier that was commissioned originally by the DNC. Karen Travers is joining us from the White House uh, for the latest on the reaction. We heard the president this morning say that he uh, agreed that it should be released, sent it back to the House, and then the House Intelligence Committee took the wraps off of this thing. Um, What sort of a decision-making process did the president have in this? 
Well, the president uh, reviewed the memo. The lawyers here at the White House did. There were meetings with FBI officials. Uh, Part of that was an aggressive effort by some at the FBI to get the White House to not release this memo. Uh, The White House says that it raises serious concerns about the integrity of decisions that were made at the highest levels of the Justice Department and the FBI. Of course, critics say that it doesn't tell the whole story and that releasing this memo is going to have a damaging ripple effect, uh, starting First, of course, as you say, the relationship between the White House and the FBI and the Justice Department, which, of course, I mean, this was just an incredible showdown. They were pleading with the president to not do this, and he went ahead and did. It looks like, I mean, part of the reason for that was probably because it looks like the FBI used bias information or information from somebody who was clear and spoke clearly about how he did not want the president to land in that seat. Uh, in the Oval Office. Um, But it's not the totality of all the information that the FBI Mm -hmm. and Department of Justice used to obtain their FISA warrant. And that's the important part of this. And that was the point that the FBI was saying in their statement on Wednesday, that they had grave concerns that omission of fact uh, was going to make this a very misleading memo. That's the political argument that Democrats have been making for several weeks, that by picking and choosing what you want to include in this memo, it it makes it certainly look like that Democratic-funded steel dossier was, uh, as they say, an essential part of a FISA surveillance warrant for Carter Page, who was a Trump campaign associate. But one part of that is that Carter Page had been on the radar of U.S. counterintelligence officials for about three to four years at that point. And there was already an investigation by the FBI counterintelligence uh, that had been launched because of other people in the Trump orbit. So that's the point that the FBI was making in that brief statement. But it's certainly one that the Democrats are really trying to hammer home today that, yes, if you pick a couple facts up and put them together, it can lead you to this conclusion. But they say the Republicans were leading themselves to the conclusion they wanted. That being said, Democrats have their own version of a memo. I think it's 10 pages is long, according to Adam Schiff. If we're going to see that, if we're going to put our eyes on that, mm-hmm. doesn't that also have to go through that same process to be approved by the president? Exactly. And there was a statement from the White House that said that, you know, there is this other memo. It's sort of telling the line of, yes, we want transparency, but also it will have to go through all of these things. And like essentially saying that they could shut that down if they wanted to. Uh, when you read through it, uh, did you feel like there was any national security threat in the information that we saw? No, and that's one question that we're certainly asking of, you know, the the pushback from the FBI, um, the pushback from the Justice Department about the security risk. Like my our read on it was it wasn't clear what in this memo, since it wasn't redacted, uh, represented that that worry for them. But uh, some of it, they say, is sources and methods that, you know, perhaps we just don't know gleaning from these three and a half pages. It also has no mention of people like Michael Flynn or Paul Mm -hmm. Manafort. I mean, George Papadopoulos' name shows up at the very end, and it's very quickly just a quick reference to it. Were you surprised there wasn't other connections to other people who have been brought up so far? No, I mean, we weren't expecting that. This seemed to be focused on Carter Page, but it is certainly another point that some of the critics who have this memo are saying is that, you know, there are three people that have gone through uh, the legal, pro- you know, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, the Papadopoulos guilty plea, but three of them are not even a part of this. Like Carter Page hasn't had anything brought against him. So it, that to some, that was a bit curious. Former uh, FBI Director James Comey is the only one I heard a response from today uh, Mm -hmm. in that camp, I guess. Yeah, he weighed in with a tweet and uh, he called it a dishonest and misleading memo. Uh, And he says it wrecked the House intelligence community and uh, destroyed the trust with the 
intelligence community. Uh, he said that there's a now a damaged relationship with the FISA court and it, it inexcusably exposed classified investigation of American citizen for what? Uh, question, and I'm not sure if you know the answer to this. The The memo points to one of the safeguards about the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, especially when an American citizen is the subject of potential surveillance, that that uh, order has to be renewed every 90 days mm-hmm. and that each renewal would require a separate finding of probable cause. Would they be able to use information or evidence that they got in the previous 90 days surveillance as part of a, a reason to renew the order? I don't know that. Mm. Sorry. Well, I'll just have to do my own. Yeah. Googling. I don't know it. Karen, right. thank you so much. Great stuff. Appreciate your thank time. Thank you. Have a great day. Karen Travers there from the White House with the latest on this memo. Again, we do have the copy. We have the full version of the Republican memo that was released today up on the website. It'll take um, you maybe eight minutes to read through it. It's, it's brief, and it's, uh, it's very plainly written. Um, one of the things, Adam Schiff, who is the minority member of the minority uh, ranking member, I guess it would be, of the House Intelligence Committee, is trying to go through and is trying to force a vote on the Democratic version of the memo. The same day back on Monday when the Intelligence Committee voted along party lines to release the Republican memo that we're talking about, they turned down a plan to release the Democratic memo. Um, It looks like Adam Schiff is going to try again, probably on Monday, to force a vote and have them choose uh, on this again. He is. He did put out a quick two-page statement, basically, about the memo today. Uh, he said that he did not like the fact that Chairman Devin Nunez uh, used a weird, obscure, and never-before-used House rule to release this classified information without the Department of Justice and FBI vetting it, and that that was extremely reckless. Uh, said that a lot of this stuff is leaving out information uh, about, for example, Christopher Steele's potential political motivations, uh, the article from the Yahoo News that was used to corroborate the Steele dossier but included tips from Christopher Steele himself. Uh, Adam Schiff says that that memo claims that the article is used to corroborate Steele, but it's not why the article was referenced. There are but a few serious mischaracterizations in the FISA application. So he's got his he's locked and loaded with this information to get out there and fire back. But like Karen said, it's got to go through the same. It's not going to happen. It's got to go through. It's got to be approved. It's got first of all, yeah. in, the intelligence committee has to vote on it. Then it goes to the president to determine whether or not he wants to release it's not it. Not in the president's interest for the full story to go public. It's in his interest for just this part of the story to go public. So it looks like the FBI is uh, working with somebody who had it out for the president. Yeah. Um, all right. I got a quick gas food alert. This is going to save you some serious cash for your big game weekend. Tomorrow is your last day to order at Fresh Brothers for this weekend. Pre-order for the big game by tomorrow. Get a big 10% off your entire order. Now, you know Fresh Brothers because of their pizza, of course, but they have wings, chicken parmesan sliders, Mm. and that meatball slider that just made a party in my mouth a few minutes ago. You can order online at FreshBrothers.com or download their app. They've got 12 locations locations in L.A. 12? Five in Orange County. Whoa. They're now open in Burbank. In Burbank? Why aren't we eating this every day? I don't know. Freshbrothers.com. Swamp Watch when we come back, including a big, big story about Mitt Romney.
I know that nobody believes me, but there is a big story about Mitt Romney when we come back. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 1251. Can you believe that? A couple things to um, to know about today. The memo that was released. Their uh, comments from the White House today said that it is open to approving the release of the Democratic memo that would rebut the Republican memo that we saw today. According to uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she said the administration stands ready to work with Congress to accommodate oversight requests consistent with applicable standards including the need to protect intelligence sources and methods. One of the uh, criticisms, I guess, was that the information that we saw in the House memo, sorry, the House Republican memo, was that there was going to be some national security secrets that could potentially be divulged. That was the big complaint from the FBI and the Department of Justice. That was their big um, trepidation about having it released. But having gone through this now a couple of times, I don't see anything on there specifically that would have, again, this is the, I guess, would be redacted. There's nothing that has been redacted, but that also could be that there was other stuff taken out of it before it was published. So, Nuclear posture. Should we talk about our country's nuclear posture, as it's called? Sure. Trump administration today called for the development of two new types of nuclear weapons to better deter potential adversaries. It's a reassessment of our current arsenal that critics have slammed as increasing the likelihood of nuclear conflict. The Pentagon's Nuclear Posture Review, the first since 2010, calls for a lower yield option with less powerful explosive capacity for ballistic and cruise missiles launched from submarines. It also says that nuclear weapons could be used to respond to extreme circumstances, including non-nuclear attacks. Yeah, the, this new summary says that they could be used uh, to deter large-scale non-nuclear attacks. So in the event that there was some, I don't know, planned invasion of the continental United States or something, even it wouldn't even have to be the continental United States, whether it was uh, Guam or Hawaii or uh, Alaska or something like that, that somehow these lower-yield but still nuclear weapons would be used to deter a non-nuclear attack. I think that makes sense. Some arms control advocates have said that when you do that, when you start loosening the restrictions on which uh, we pl- uh, upon which we place the nu- – if you start lengthening the list of things that we can use the nuclear weapons for, that it would run the risk of increasing the likelihood that we would be in some sort of a nuclear conflict. I'm not sure that that – it seems logical, but I'm not sure that practically that it would come out. There. This is a 74-page report, and it largely follows uh, the Obama administration's nuclear weapons policy. Uh, it does, does take a more aggressive stance toward Russia, saying that Russia must be persuaded. It would, it said Russia must be persuaded, and that it would face un, unacceptably dire costs if it were to threaten even limited nuclear attack. In Europe, 
Um, it does break, this doctrine does break with Obama's in ending his push to reduce the role of nuclear weapons in defense policy. Uh, speaking of worry things, uh, the Syrian regime should think carefully before using chemical weapons, according to Mad Dog Mattis. He referenced last year's uh, strike on the Syrian airfield in retaliation for a chemical attack and said, listen, you saw how we all reacted to that. It would be ill-advised to launch any more chemical attacks. There are some reports, perhaps, that they have weaponized chlorine again. And Jim Mattis said, we are even more concerned about the possibility also of sarin use. And if that's the case, I think it's pretty clear that the United States would go in, considering that that would be the uh, second time the Syrian troops crossed that red line in the sand. And Mitt Romney, here's my big Mitt Romney news. Oh, I've been waiting for this for like a long ready? time. Uh, let's see, February. You said it was big news. Yep, Thursday, February 15th. Yes. Put this on your calendar. Okay. It's the day before Lauren's birthday. Thursday before Lauren's birthday. Remember Lauren? Oh, I have to sing, that's right. He has said he will announce on February 15th whether or not he is going to run for the U.S. Senate from the great state of Utah. Of course he is. Oh, I didn't know that you knew that already. Well, yeah. Oh. If he wasn't going to run, it's not likely that he would announce the announcement, right? He wouldn't say, hey, make sure you tune in on February 15th because I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Um, but do you think this has any echoes of that speech that he gave blasting then-candidate Donald Trump? Or do you think he kind of saddles up to the president and some of the economic successes, at the very least, that he's had? Recently? I don't know. I think he might just ignore the president altogether. He's just going to do it and yeah. represent the great state uh, of of. The people of the great state of Utah? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll have to see. When are the opening ceremonies for the Olympics, by the way? I wonder if that's uh, timed. Because the Olympics, the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City were a great they begin success. begin Friday, February 9th. Oh, so they'll be going on in the middle of this. And Mitt Romney's going to say on the backdrop of the great Winter Olympics in Pyongyang, Pyongyang, I also had a great Winter Olympics. I don't like... I don't mind telling everyone. In 2002, we brought the Olympics to the Great Salt Lake area and knocked it out of the park, as they say, in a very not winter sport. That's also the first day the pitchers and catchers report. It's February 15th. We have a bunch to get to when we come back. We'll go back a little bit over the uh, the big memo that came out today. Also, the shooting at Castro Middle School from yesterday was accidental. We now know that is probably the conclusion that they'll come to. And... On our Instagram feed right now, at Gary and Shannon, something you don't want to look at while you're at lunch. I'm, I'm beginning to think we should take this down. I told you you shouldn't have put it up in the first place. I didn't put it up. It was Blake. Is Blake even here today? No. He's, He's in the doing building some somewhere. very secret, super special secret training today. Blake is? Yeah. Is he getting the nuclear codes? <laughs> he might be. Can't tell you. Can't let you know. Is Mo- he getting a haircut? That he is not. That he is not. Mo Kelly's also going to join us. We're going to talk about some movie stuff coming up and all of the Super Bowl stuff you need to Not the football stuff. The other stuff that you need to know for Sunday's game. That's all next on Gary and Shannon.
This was the one. I loved this. What? Because this was my favorite Batman. Well, up to that point, it was really the only Batman outside of Adam West. Right. I I will let that slide. Prince is our Flashback Friday because Prince should have been a halftime show. And hey, he maybe maybe he makes one of those hologram appearances. Is that a possibility? Never thought of that. Vicky Vale. He busted. All right, uh, before Mo comes in, we start talking about some movie stuff. Wanted to update you on the big stories about what's happening. Uh, Out of Washington, D.C., finally the memo has been released. House Republicans released this uh, highly classified memo, formerly highly classified, that they say shows the FBI's investigation into the Trump campaign's um, connections to Russia, that there were surveillance abuses. President Trump declared the memo shows... A lot of people should be ashamed of themselves. That's how he referred to it today. Uh, Again, this was the one that was uh, prepared by Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee and says that the FBI relied on the Christopher Steele dossier, this anti-Trump research that was funded by Democrats, as they tried to uh, get a warrant to monitor the, the communications of Carter Page. And... That when they did this, when they went to the FISA court, the federal in uh, how about this, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, that the Department of Justice did not give the full details about where they got the information from the Steele dossier that it was being paid for by Democrats at the time, and that Christopher Steele had stated publicly that he wanted to do what he could to prevent President uh, present, prevent Donald Trump from becoming the president. That's basically what this three-and-a-half, four-page memo says. The FBI was critical, said that it's inaccurate, said that it is stripped of a lot of context, so which is critical to setting up the story. Democrats have said that they have their own version of it, which is about 10 pages long, that they say fills in blanks that were left by this uh, Republican memo. And in fact... Adam Schiff, the uh, top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, said it mischaracterizes highly sensitive classified information and that the selective release and politicization of classified information sends a ter- sets a terrible precedent and is going to do long-term damage to the intelligence community and our law enforcement agencies. This I it- want to know if anybody is challenging the one line in this memo that is the most troubling. Because even if there's a wealth of information that the FBI has that they use to get that FISA warrant that they don't want to release or shouldn't be released or the the president doesn't want released because it shows a more full picture, it still wouldn't overcome this one line. And it's about a piece of testimony. In the memo, it says, former deputy director Andrew McCabe testified before the committee in December that no surveillance warrant would have been sought from the Intelligence Committee without the Steele dossier information. So even if there's a wealth of information that is unbiased, comes from unbiased places that would lead to probable cause to look into uh, Carter Page, it still doesn't get over that one sentiment that... Despite all that wealth of information, if they didn't have the dossier information, they wouldn't have gotten the warrant. Yeah. 
And again, just to reiterate, just using those words, that that line, it doesn't mean that this was the only document that they used, that the FBI used, but it was the most important, obviously. The other troubling part of this memo, despite what else the FBI may have had, is that there was a senior Department of Justice official who was involved with with obtaining this warrant, whose wife was working for Fusion GPS to assist in finding all this anti-Trump stuff. That's a clear conflict of interest on its face, but yet that was not disclosed. Never disclosed in court. So if you just look at this, and even if this is cherry-picked information, as, as the way the Democrats describe it, that right there is enough to raise some eyebrows, at the very least raise some eyebrows about the way the FBI handled this. Now, we have to figure out what the Democrat version of this is. We have to know what's in their memo to compare it to this, to fill in any holes that, that they say uh, they would be filling in with their information. And even, as you mentioned, that that testimony from Andrew McCabe, it took place behind closed doors in a secret meeting, a classified meeting, from the House Intelligence Committee, December 20th, I think it was. And when Andrew McCabe came out of there, he didn't say a word about what he talked about. And Democrats have said that that line in the memo from the Republicans is misleading at least and probably takes everything out of context when he was talking about it. Another big story today is Wall Street. Dow has marked the worst single session point plunge since 2008. Nine years. Dow tumbled nearly 700 points today. It was a bad week of trade after a very strong January. And this is not necessarily connected to the memo. Probably doesn't help at all that when uh, big stories come out of of D.C. that are unsettling to a lot of people, it's going to cause some uh, some skittish uh, markets. It's probably more about interest rates it's interest, interest rate rates potential. that are going to be lifted uh so and a bit of a in a bit of a correction a bit of a natural probably a correction on top of that bonds have been spiking as well it's one of those things that it just could be a, a, a an unfortunate set of circumstances that go into this and the other story that we talked about in the 11 o'clock hour today was the shooting at sal castro middle school yesterday at the time of the shooting we were not sure if it was even intentional. There was at least one comment that was made during one of the news conferences early yesterday that the girl who was accused of shooting a couple of other classmates may have done so by accident. And now they're saying that the girl, the 12-year-old, was booked on suspicion of negligent discharge of a firearm after the shooting. They said that the innocent children and staff members were unfortunately injured, according to the LAPD, and at least one of the witnesses said that the girl had a gun in her backpack and either dropped the backpack or dropped the gun and it went off. So it's uh, that's an unusual thing to have happened. Hey, look who's here. Hello. It's Mo. Estoiki. That means I am here. Oh. Oh, Estoiki. Estoiki. Welcome to... I thought you'd been to Costa Rica. Oh, Brett. Don't be ridiculous, darling. It's I would just say a movies. key. I feel like a story is formal. <laughs> I is formal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me here. How's that? How you doing, Mo? Doing well. Um, Como estas? <laughs> muy bien, gracias. Ah, bueno. E two? Ah, uh, si, si. Mm. 
don't know what that means. You don't know what a CC means? No. I've not I've not been paying attention to my learned Masomenos. Masomenos. A CSC works, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Curtis well, is the only one you who You take can. that up with, uh, what was her name? Shaney, my softball coach and my Spanish one teacher. Shaney Mayer. Sure, she's listening. You get to call your teachers by their first name. Well, she was a coach, so it was like we we called her Shaney. Oh, ours was always Mister. Yeah, or Coach. In class, it was Mister Ellison, and on the football field, it was Coach Ellison. She was very cool. She was also like twenty four. Oh, she was probably dating one of the That's, students. No, That's she was. wasn't. Trying That's to make it, it seem she like she was, was cool. She was not. Well, uh, Mo, we have to unfortunately start with some uh, some of the news from Hollywood that has been tainting Hollywood for the last couple of months, and it's the story of more abuse allegations that have come out. I think one of the new ones is Alex Winter, the star of uh, one of one of the stars of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the guy who played the guy who's not Keanu, the blonde. Right. <laughs> um, he says that he was sexually abused as a child star in the seventies and didn't talk about it because he thought it was a potentially dangerous secret. That as a kid, the impact on him was hellish, that he suffered from a massive form of something, which at the time he had no name for, but now has described as post-traumatic stress disorder. Let's think of it this way. If we can see how Hollywood can ostracize or blackball someone like a Harvey Weinstein or a Mel Gibson, yeah, I think it's reasonable to wonder about what they could do to a child actor who may have tried to speak out against someone who had a lot of power. Well, Corey, uh, uh, Corey Feldman, Corey Feldman is a great example of that. He, he has said repeatedly that he was victimized and he wasn't the only one that there were others that were victimized as well. And no one, I don't know if no one, but not enough people gave him enough credence to actually begin any sort of investigation or, you know, and, and it's, it's gotta be so frustrating. It's gotta be almost relief for him lately to see that so many more people are being listened to but frustrating that he went all that time shouting into the you know into the wind and no one was listening you understand this usually the the person who first comes out usually does not get to benefit of getting the credit for starting the movement if you think back to baseball and steroids you know that jose canseco and also ken caminetti said this was going on in baseball years before it actually came out. And you find it with these sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual misconduct allegations. The people who were saying it years ago usually don't get the credit in the time that they deserve most of the credit. Uh, Just a slight tangent from this. The Grammys on Sunday night. I know you're a big music guy with a history in the music industry. Um, One of the, the startlingly poignant moments for me, there were two of them, was Janelle Monet's speech up there where she was saying this is not just a Hollywood thing. This isn't just a movie thing. This is in our industry, and ev- like people in this room have either been victimized or are pre- uh, predators, basically. But it's much more pervasive in music, and that was the point I was making Sunday night, uh, understanding the business. You have a business which is known for its glorification of misogyny, having nothing to do with what is actually going on behind the scenes. And and then you have it in, in the space of that same award ceremony where they're passing out these golden gramophones for people who largely have uh, made their careers on misogyny. It's, it's, it's kind of – it's beyond hypocritical. It's almost hard to even explain. It's like they're not even listening to themselves. Yeah, you, you do see that, right? Uh, you you – you do know what's on that person's record, right? Right. That's the frustrating thing. All right. Well, anyway, the, the, the bad stuff is out of the way.
Let's talk about uh, where do you want to start? Gosh, where do you want to start? Well, there is that Paddington lawsuit. Oh, that's right. The other, the Weinstein thing. Paddington 2. Nice segue. <laughs> Speaking of Weinstein. Right. Uh, poor little bears getting caught up in this mess. Well, it's a weird thing because they're talking about movie rights and available for distribution in Canada instead selling the rights to Warner Brothers. It's one of those legal things that probably goes over everyone's head. We'll probably never hear this again. But but because it's, I'll say, connected mm-hmm. to the Weinstein Company, it then takes on a, a whole different perception. What was your take on Paddington 2? Did you just love it? I didn't see it. Uh, what? No. no. Shocking. <laughs> that was just one I just could not find time in my schedule. I'm interested in Quentin Tarantino's Charles Manson movie. Uh, they're saying now, according to Variety, that Roman Polanski will have a key role in the project, the character of Roman Polanski. Of course, this is why, while Roman Polanski's uh, past sexual assault issues are, are ongoing and still in the conversation with this Me Too movement. Well, Quentin Tarantino does do sick and depraved very well. Yes. I would say that's his lane. Yes. And how will Roman Polanski be seen in this movie? Uh, that seen would be or portrayed. Portrayed. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that people now uh, receive him and see him in a far different way than maybe 15, 20 years ago. The the people who have been attached to this film, the, the actors at least, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to star in the movie. Maybe Al Pacino. Uh, Al Pacino has been named as one of the people. Margot Robbie has been named as, as somebody who's in this. Uh, so this is going to be quite a star-studded a- event. Yeah, those actors all do crazy well. <laughs> That's right. Margot Robbie did, um, did uh, what's-her-face, from Suicide Squad. Right. Um that's going to be good. Uh, Clint Eastwood has a new movie coming out, but he's also working on a new one. The, the new film is 1517 to Paris, which is about the attack on the train that the three Americans thwarted. Uh, he's also working on The Mule, about a 90-year-old drug courier. Huh. That's longevity. How old is Clint? Clint is about 90. 90. Yeah. Guess who's going to star in it? A uh, guy named Clint Eastwood. He's looking at plan- He's looking at directing, producing, and starring in this. Leo Sharp is the 90-year-old drug mule. He was an award-winning horticulturist, decorated World War II veteran, known for his prized daylilies when he was busted for running drugs for the Sinaloa cartel, sent to prison <laughs> at the age of 90. At the time, he he was transporting three million worth of coke through Michigan in his beat up old pickup truck when he was arrested by the DEA. He was sentenced to just three years after his lawyer argued that his client's dementia sent him down a wrong path. That's rich. That sounds very Breaking (laughs) Bad esque. Very much. Great guy who gets roped into a life of drugs. Unbeknownst to him because of his dementia. How do you avoid um, prison for 90 years? And then and, and then get yeah. there. It was dementia, I suppose. By the way, they said that uh, the guy who wrote Gran Torino uh, did the original draft of the script. Fantastic movie. Yes. Oh, okay, then I'm in. Hard uh, to watch, but very. And good. it has since been rewritten by the guy who wrote Weeds, the uh, Showtime show about the woman selling pot out of her house. So. It seems like it can be very good all the way around. It should be. Uh, We'll come back to some more movies with Mo Kelly, but first we have an opportunity for you to win $1,000. Here's how you're going to do it. Your shot at $1,000 now. 
Text the keyword cash to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's cash to 200-200. If you win, they'll give you a call, but it'll probably be from a number you don't recognize. you got to answer the phone if you're going to win that 1000 bucks. If not, if you don't win, they don't call you, play again next hour. John and Ken have an opportunity for you to win 1000 bucks. Uh, before we get into all of our Black Panther stuff, because we're going to be uh, very excited about that for these next couple of weeks, Solo, a Star Wars story trailer, is going to premiere next week. At the Super Bowl? Uh, is, it the, is it the Super Bowl? I don't think it's Super Oh, I guess it is. It's yeah. possible we'll see a glimpse of the trailer during the Super Bowl Sunday night. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when they show it. It's Come on. It It's one of those things where, yes, they can put it on the, on the TVs, but everyone is going to watch it on their phone or on their computer later. That's yeah. a great question. Why would you want to spend, let's say, $4 million yeah. when you can just, for free, put it on your YouTube channel? And everyone, everyone's channel. anxious to see it anyway. And yeah. we'll share it. You can't share it from TV. Right. You know what? I haven't heard a lot about the advertisements this year for the Super Bowl. I haven't heard. Usually teasers come out or you hear there's some sort of. Uh, buzz about a particular one. Maybe they show a teaser for it uh, during regular programming leading up to the Super Bowl. I haven't heard anything. I think it's hit critical mass. I think it's it's gone about as far as it can I go. Think so. Yeah, I, I, because I think they've they already perfected the teaser on YouTube. You know, the ten second teaser on YouTube. Watch for the conclusion on Super Bowl Sunday or whatever. And there's like none of it this year. Yeah, there there isn't much of it. I've I've only seen a couple of even. Um, allusions to what we'll see on Sunday. One of them is the Jeff Bezos, uh, Alexa lost her voice. Yeah. Like she coughs in the middle of saying something and she loses her voice and the people at Amazon HQ are going crazy. And Bezos was in the commercial tune in Sunday to see what happens. And the other one is a Mountain Dew commercial where uh, Peter Dinklage comes out and is rapping to bust the rhymes. That's good. And they've already started showing that already. Oh, they have. Yeah. Okay. That one. And then Morgan Freeman, with uh, doing Missy Elliott, oh, that's, as he's walking, that's like lip syncing to her lyrics. Mm-hmm. Very, those are very cool. But anyway, you're right; those are only a couple. I wonder if companies are not spending the money uh, because of the whole NFL ratings down. Well, protesting. I don't know. I mean, I would still pay for it because you you still get the uh, yeah, you get the notoriety, and There's people still are gonna still going to go check it out. Regardless, it's not like. Yeah. You're saying uh, YouTube, the official sponsor of the NFL, right, right, like right. that. You know. uh, one of the movies before again before we get to Black Panther, one of the movies, the movie really that opens up this weekend is called Winchester. Uh, Helen Mirren is in this. And I heard she, that she looks bored throughout it, and for good reason. <laughs> she talks about uh, this is Winchester, the story of the Winchester Mystery House, and it it's based on the theory that the the house that's built in San Jose is haunted by the ghosts of people who were killed by the Winchester rifles. That's always been one of the ghost stories surrounding the house. She was a, I mean, there was a lot to this lady. That's not what happened. But this is basically, she hears the ghosts that come to her and tries to design the house to fit the ghosts. At the chime of midnight, they clamor. The bells summon them. They communicate through plans, drawings. They want me to reconstruct the rooms that they died in. Then they can enter our world. Okay. I'm bored. I was bored six seconds into <laughs> I'm that. I'm sorry. Did you say something? Right. But, it's a, but it is supposed to be a horror movie. So th- that's the only one of any note that's, uh, that's opening up this weekend. But 
we are already talking about, this is the second week in a row that we've talked about, the box office already tracking for the box office for Black Panther's opening two weeks from today, not even next week, two weeks from today, is at $150 million and is probably going to be closer to 200 by the time it's all said and done. There are people just within my friend group and peer group are having Black Panther viewing parties where they're going as groups to the theater opening weekend. Have you read any of the reviews early on? Because I know that, I mean, it, there's part of it I want to read them because I want to see the, the early reaction to it. But I don't want to know anything about the script, the story, or anything. I want to be surprised by it. No, the reviews have been embargoed until February 6th. Oh, they have? Yes. Well, then- Now, there have been early reactions. People on Twitter saying, oh, I loved it. You're gonna, it's, it's the best Marvel movie ever. Better that type word. Of thing. Reaction yeah. is a better word then, yeah. Yeah, but uh, not actual uh, review. The other th- we've, uh, I did not know that there was a Black Panther uh, movie f- starring Wesley Snipes. Well, you have to remember also Wesley Snipes did Blade, which is a part of the Marvel right. franchise. So he has always been connected to these characters. But yes, uh, and uh, I don't know if he's bitter or sad <laughs> that his version does not get that, this type of attention. Um, you think he would make a cameo in this? Quite possibly. Ryan Coogler, the director, is, is very big on cameos. Yeah. That's why I, he would be one that I would not be surprised to see in this. And Marvel is is good for doing tips of the fedora to to people who really understand the genre and know the history of characters. Yeah. That's one of the, the the all of the Marvel Universe movies. There have been, what, 13 now? Or this is the 13th Black Panther is? I believe. Something like that. Every single one of them is packed with those little Easter eggs that if you get the inside joke, it's a great payoff. I mean, they put Lou Ferrigno in one of the Incredible Hulk movies. So it's yeah. not... It's not un- unbelievable. Awesome. All right. Mo Kelly, big doings this weekend for your show? Yeah, we might be giving away tickets to about a Black Panther screening. We might. I guess you'll just have to oh. listen in. <laughs> I love it. We might. All right. Uh, six to eight tomorrow night and then six to eight on Sunday as well. The Mo Kelly Show. All right. When we come back, we're going to get into the Super Bowl stuff. Maybe question about whatever happened to the talk about all the commercials. Eagles. Are they all suffering from the flu? Yes. The Tom Brady kiss that's making the news? We've got it all here for you. Gary and Shannon will come come right back. Gary and Shannon. Hey, we're doing uh we're doing a little Super Bowl thing. Trying to see how close you can get to the final score for the Super Bowl on Sunday. So you know what you're going to do for the big game. We do this uh, for our Gas Fantasy 4 play, but since we only have one game, we're going to do it this way. You come, if you nail that combined final score, maybe you win a little uh, little something-something It's on, a combined uh, final score. Combined so. final score. All right. Yes. You don't have to say who is uh, responsible for which points? Nope. Just the, final, just the combined final score. Just give me a number, like 51, something like that. Please tell me that that's not going to be the winning number because I just gave it away. 51. Hey, you're not wrong. We have not heard a lot about commercials, uh, the Super Bowl commercials. This I'm not year. wrong. Is that another way of saying I'm right? I just, uh, you're not wrong. The um, the thing is, last year we saw the number of commercials that were released ahead of the game. Thirty six of the commercials were released ahead of the game. Yeah. Whether it was YouTube or Vimeo or whatever other ad, uh, whatever video on online, thirty six of them so far. 
Only 21 have been released ahead of the game. We've seen Cardi B and Anthony Hopkins, uh, Danny DeVito. I mentioned uh, Peter Dinklage and Morgan Freeman. Bill Hader's in there. The new Dilly Dilly trilogy is apparently coming back out. But it's felt like to a lot of people the Super Bowl commercials came out ahead of the game. And while these pre-releases started coming out in the beginning of February, the beginning of January, a lot of them said you're taking away the magic of part of what makes Super Bowl fun is finding out what the commercials are going to be. Right. It's great that they live online, but put them all up afterwards. Yeah. Or during the game or you know when the or, commercial's yeah. going to be. Game day or whatever. That's the yeah. thing is by t- by Sunday morning we'll know uh NBC releases basically its schedule of commercials to to generate some more of the right. interest. They know what's going on. I think the Today show all week has been doing little previews of all the commercials so far. Which in to to a degree that can work if it's one of those 10 second teaser things. Right. But if you want people to watch the game right. and get those ratings up, you got to do it on the day of. Um they said last year in the 24 hours before the Super Bowl, 36 full in-game ads had already made it into circulation. And that ended up for almost uh, accounting for almost half of the ads that ran during the Fox game. So, I mean, a lot can happen between now and then, but you're right in that CC, you're right in that we haven't heard as much about commercials as we have. And you heard how I'm sorry, what'd you say? You're not wrong. <laughs> and you heard how much a 30 second spot is. Uh, let me ask, let me guess. Five million dollars. Five million dollars mm. for a 30 second ad. Right. Some of the crazy prop bets are always fun to go through, like the total number of Donald Trump tweets during the game. Oh, during the game? The over and under is 2.5. Really? I don't think he'll tweet during the game. Length of National Anthem by Pink. Two minutes, right? Is Length two min- of America the Beautiful. Who's singing America the Beautiful? Leslie Odom Jr. Oh. Justin Timberlake's first song during the halftime show, What Will It Be? Sexy back? Can't uh, stop the feeling? By the way, the NFL will never allow him to do sexy back. I'm bringing sexy back and then a nipple pops out? The, yeah, that's not going to happen. Or he starts just that bass line and Janet Jackson appears on the screen, mm. but then she goes away and he goes, I'm just kidding. That's never going to happen. Janet Jackson appears in like a burka. She, she will also not be there. I cannot figure uh, out. Will Al Michaels or Chris Collinsworth say dynasty? How many times? Well, the over and the over under on that is two and a half. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels are very good at what they do, and I think that they'll switch it up a bit. I think if they th- if they hear themselves say "dynasty," they probably won't repeat it more than two and a half times. How about I'd this? go with the under. How about yeah? How about this? You're Al Michaels' uh, second cousin. And Al Michaels goes, hey, I got a, I got a good bet for Ooh. you. You call Paddington's or whatever place is doing this online bet, and I promise you, Chris and I will not say the word dynasty. Take the under. Oh, my gosh. Drop a half a million on that, although usually the prop bet limit is like 1000 bucks or something like that. In this the case, it's... Uh, uh, Oscar, can you get Al Michaels on the phone? <laughs> for me? The I think they have his number down the hall. This I is. I heard he's a fan of the show. This is not a good payoff, though. Not this show. I mean the 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 payoff is you have to bet a hundred to win a hundred. Yeah. The the under. I'm sorry. The over on this is you bet a hundred and thirty to win a hundred. So it's uh. How many commercials will Peyton Manning appear in the broadcast? 
how many Anheuser-Busch commercials will be aired during the broadcast. I don't think that should be a bet because I think you can find that out before the game. Will Bill Belichick announce retirement after the game? No. Will Tom Brady be wearing a bandage on his right hand? Yes. These are all important bets that we need to make sure that we we keep in keep in uh, our hearts. Just, just FYI, don't drive drunk this weekend. Don't drive drunk ever, but you're just dumber if you drive buzzed at all because DUI patrols on Super Bowl is going to be insane. Insane. DUI checkpoints everywhere. It's a good public service announcement. You got it. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I do. Thank you for looking out for us. I appreciate it. Nick that. Foles. I would like to see Nick Foles become the hero just after the 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 trek he's had through the NFL and being benched and everything. And he's a pretty pretty good quarterback. And it would be just kind of cool if Nick Foles could go out there and beat Tom Brady. Is that because you don't like Carson Wentz or just because you like Nick Foles? I like Carson Wentz, um, but I like the story of Nick Foles. I like the story of a quarterback being benched and then coming in for the injured star, and everyone was like, oh, no, not Nick Foles. And then he goes on to to lead him on a Super Bowl run in victory. Wasn't that That's the a good plot story. of a Dennis Quaid movie? When he was the old the guy? Old, old quarterback? Yeah. We'll have to look at that. We'll come back. We'll do some more of this uh, Super Bowl stuff to get you ready for what's going on on Sunday. Gary and Shannon. You walked in. I woke up. Uh, we are talking about any given Sunday. For some reason, I had conflated that you were talking about the natural with Robert Redford. Yeah, because he was an old pitcher. And to combine both of those, when Dennis Quaid was the pitcher for The Rookie. Yeah. The movie The Rookie. Anyway, he plays Cap Rooney, I think was his name, in, in any given Sunday. The first string, old quarterback, gets knocked out in a game. His second string gets knocked out in a game. Jamie Foxx comes in as the hot shot third string. They go to the playoffs. Cap Rooney comes back to be the starting quarterback and it's knocked out. And right. Anyway. We could also I don't talk, want to give it away. We should <laughs> just to just to throw another uh, iron in that fire, Mark Wahlberg as the quarterback of the Eagles. The guy uh the guy who 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 jumps in, he's an everyday Joe. He goes to That's that right. open tryout, he becomes the quarterback. What's his name? Mark Wahlberg? Nope. The 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 true story guy. I don't remember. I gotta Google it. I gotta um, Google it. But anyway, Mark Wahlberg, uh Patriots fan. Well, this is why you love mm-hmm. Nick Foles. Oh, and by the way, he's going to be a pastor when he retires. Oh, that's nice. He says he wants to be a pastor in a high school. And he uses the correct language. He says, It's on my heart. Uh, he took a leap of faith last year, signed up to take classes at seminary. Vince they Papali. To... That's what it Vince was. Vince Papali. Papali. Um, so anyway, Nick Foles is a, apparently a very, very good guy. That's um, a, who was the other guy who thanked God right away? Was that that was, uh, the, was the MVP the, from the, the uh, what's from name? the Rose Bowl from the national championship game? No, um, the gosh, we're really going down yeah, the was, old folks. So quarterback right who had to come in for Alabama, wasn't it? No, I'm thinking of it was also in the playoffs. The the miracle in Minnesota. Who was the former Rams quarterback? Ke- oh, Case Keenum. Case Keenum. He thanked God right after that miracle in Minnesota as yep. well. Even though he should have thanked the uh, cornerback who missed the tackle. What's your favorite baseball movie ever? Ever? You have to pick just one. I don't know if Sandlot counts, but I would say you Sandlot. Would, really? 
Well, I mean, it's not about a baseball team. It's about it's a more bunch of kids playing of baseball. It's more of a coming of age story. Yeah, but that's a classic movie. We used to watch that with the kids all the time. All the time. I think I might have to go for, for the love of the game. Um, one more new Super Bowl thing, and then I have some breaking news I want to tell you about out Uh-oh. of Sacramento. But the, just the, if you haven't seen the video, Tom Brady kisses his 11-year-old son. It's an awkward length. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it's an awkward length kiss. I'll just say that. You're not going to you're not going to talk about lawmakers and sexual problems. I will, but this late in the in the show on Friday, are you? I, will. I was ignoring that story. I know, but I just want to tee it up so that I know John and Ken are going to talk about it. Um Tom Brady, the TB12 method, his uh, nutrition and fitness book that he has, mm-hmm. he recommends a, a hydration routine. <clears throat> Reportedly drinking 37 glasses of water a day, enough water to hydrate a healthy person for five days. 37? The book says you you should drink at least one half of your body weight in ounces of water every day. Okay, so how many hours are you up a day? If I weigh 107, you're up 16 hours a day. I got to drink 85 ounces. That's. what three eight ounce glasses a uh, an hour or so? Ten. That's almost eleven eight ounce glasses. So that's one eight ounce glass every hour, maybe something like that. That's not that bad. It doesn't seem that, that bad. Seem bad. But he drinks thirty seven. He drinks three times, to- almost four times as much as that. So he either goes to the restroom a lot or sweats a lot. He probably does sweat a lot. I'll give him that. But he still, might, there's an uncomfortable. He you... might wear a catheter <laughs> at that level of water. <laughs> I mean, who has time to go to the bathroom right. that many times? He triumphantly proclaims, sometimes I think I'm the most hydrated person in the world, the wettest. I'm so hydrated. <laughs> so the legislature. You never do that again. The legislature is out with a big report. New records. They have released sexual harassment investigation records in Sacramento from the California legislative leaders. We were having a nice little Friday. No, it's getting. Everybody's taking it out at work, including candidate for governor Travis Allen, Assemblywoman Autumn Burke. Ooh, what did she do? Democratic Assemblyman Steve Fox, Senator Bob Hertzberg, Assemblyman Tony Mendoza, Democratic Senator Rod Wright. All of them under investigation or at least had been the subject of investigation at some point. There's another complaint that involves former Assemblyman Raul Bocanegra. He was Capitol Chief of Staff at the time of the incident. Uh, He was disciplined for groping another legislative staffer in an event after work at downtown Sacramento nightclubs. Oh, boy. Okay, I found the stuff that Assemblywoman Autumn Burke is in trouble for. Yeah, go for it. It, uh, 2016, a staff member complained about an incident in the Assemblywoman's office that is almost entirely redacted. They wrote inappropriate talk was rampant. Uh Uh-oh. Sitting outside in lobby with all staff standing around, I knew someday something was going to happen. Uh, apparently, this uh, she's from Marina Del Rey, Democrat, participated in a conversation about anal sex with her staff. She's, she said mm-hmm. the complaint was about this after hours conversation. Mm-hmm. In which one of her staff members, mm-hmm. her words, by the way, this is her written statement, shared a personal story about his experiences as a young gay man. 
She said the claim was filed by a disgruntled former staff member who participated in the conversation but took full responsibility for her part. That is on a burk. No anal sex talk at work. That's your second PSA for the day. Travis Allen, uh, let's see, in 2013, a staff member complained that Travis Allen seemed to make a practice of being unnecessarily close to her, made her uncomfortable. She described a briefing where they sat next to each other and he slid his foot over to touch hers. And another incident in which he came up behind her in a cafeteria and squeezed her shoulders. Oh, come on. This is this is baloney. A, a story about uh, sex and then uh, a foot too close to another foot and somebody touching your shoulders. Is this where we're headed? Yes. It's exactly where we're headed. All right, we have a great Super Bowl. really need to close that door. <laughs> John and Ken up next, and you know that they'll take that story and they will run with it. We'll see you on Monday. Stay dry, everybody. Gary and Shannon's side studio. Show. Why? What have you been doing with Hot Pockets? <laughs> good. I like that. I like, that was a good oh, detective question. I haven't had Cheez-Its in a long time. I have a whole bag in there. With you. Ever since the moldy Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its do not get Yes, moldy. they do. Ask Neela. Uh, did they find your nipple uh, at the Coliseum when they're doing the renovations? Not yet. Yeah. Is it true that there's one patch of grass on the 50, near the 50, that's a little greener than the rest? A little nipple-sized uh, patch of grass. I don't think he likes to talk about his nipple, his missing nipple. He brought good. it up. <laughs> it's so creepy. Whatever. So sensitive. Ah, God. You're just creepy. Thought we were family. No, and Blake's annoying. Really? It's just his hair. Yeah. I know. No. <laughs> what are we gonna do tomorrow? Coming up late. Oh, and space travel. We'll have a special report from NASA. That's me. (laughs) What? (laughs) Coming up later on the Gary and Shannon Show. All of the latest controversy out of D.C. and that big Republican memo and the FBI's problem with it. I got a lot of words in there. We have been talking about SolarMax technology for about two years now. Before I went with SolarMax. Nailed it. This has been Gary and Shannon's side studio show. Stay tuned for more outtakes and bloopers. Stay outtakes and bloopers. Oh, you know what I'm saying. We're going to keep screwing up. Oh. Gary and Shannon.